0: This is the Criterion Cast, episode 180, Criterion Collection Favorites of 2016. I'm Trevor Barrett and joining me tonight to continue this fun tradition of retrospection are some familiar, friendly, jovial voices from the Criterion cast. So to start things off, let's go around the table here and let everyone chime in. First, let's welcome Arik Devons. How are you tonight? I'm great, happy to be here. Yeah, this is exciting. I'm glad you were able to make it.
1: Yes, just before the rain destroys my whole uh, area of the country so you
0: know <laughs> uh, well the snow's been destroying us uh, here in the mountains in Utah for the last week. so mm. but I do hope that wish for the best for, for you guys uh, down that neck of the woods. Hope everything goes well. Um, next up we have the host of the Eclipse viewer where I have the pleasure to talk with him often. This David Blakesley. David, how are you?
2: I'm good. Freezing as usual this time of year out here in Michigan, but uh, you know it's all par for the course.
0: Yeah, I, I, that's one of the best things about this episode is is hearing about how cold it is in Michigan, David. <laughs> yeah, well, you know,
2: gotta get our little weather updates in there. That's what we talk about <laughs> here in the Mitten State.
0: Well, and you've been on these episodes, uh, these year-end episodes, from the beginning. Um, I don't, I don't imagine you're getting tired of them yet. Is that? Is that true? No, you
2: know the Criterion has a great knack of releasing new stuff every year, so we always have something different to talk about. <laughs> so it hasn't gotten boring yet.
0: Well, good. Um, next, we've got the Completionist, Keith Enright. Keith, how are you?
3: I'm very well, sitting in Minneapolis, colder than David, so
0: there. <laughs> colder by a long ways, but, or just uh, oh, I
1: don't, negligible? I, I don't pay attention. Just Keith, close your windows, Keith. Close
0: your windows. Oh, i make make put it. fresh air. Put your pants on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't tell him how to live his life. I'm <laughs> oh,
4: just definitely. trying to warm him up.
0: <laughs> All right. And, though he's never answered my requests for satisfaction for calling me an Ingmar Bergman hater... I'm thrilled as always to be here with Scott and I. Scott, how are you?
5: You name the time and place, man. I got my second already. What we'll <laughs> oh, is that the all that's been dawn. missing?
0: Oh, well, I'll, I'll get back <laughs> with you on that. <laughs> well, how are you doing? I, I'll, I'll let you. I'll let you say a proper hello.
5: Oh, good. It's it's warm here, you know, relatively speaking. So I have no complaints.
2: All right. Be careful now, Trevor. Scott knows how to duel by poison. So just just you're forewarned. All right.
0: Oh, uh, I'm. I'm uh, what what am i missing what reference am i missing there david oh we talked about smiles about some right duel by poison Remember oh yes the, the, oh
4: yeah yes. okay well all
2: right well a, a little deep cut to get things started there too, too, uh, too deep well, well. for even
0: <laughs> one of the guys on the podcast it takes me back to such a
2: hater trevor that's a...
0: <laughs> no i was paying attention i love that movie <laughs> oh, someday, someday I'll work myself out of that hole. I don't. Well, may, maybe not. Yeah, but it just got I'll a little, little deeper best. there. But anyway, <laughs> well, all, all of you were on this show last year with Ryan, um, so welcome back. And in fact, the only person here tonight who was not on last year's show and actually is new to this whole year-end uh, thing is me. So I'm I'm excited to be here. Um, these have always been a highlight of my year-end listening. In fact, of my year listening, I love these episodes. Um, glad to be able to participate. Uh, I will say that I I may have uh, been able I I might consider that I vocally participated a bit last year when Keith said that Dressed to Kill was garbage because I did shout at you in the car Keith when I was driving oh, to I work. I heard it. You got that. <laughs> I heard it. Good deal. It didn't change your opinion though. No no no.
3: no well, you know I will say I'll, I will say right ahead of time that. Uh, um, I do get a bit strident in my uh in my negativity and every time I listen to these things I go oh Keith tone it down a notch I don't <laughs> I don't I don't exactly feel that strongly about these things but you know, when something strikes me wrong I, I do tend to uh to speak out and you know, being on the Eclipse Viewer recently, you know, when I told Louis <laughs> Ball to shut the hell up, I don't know that I really meant that. It's just how I felt at the second. <laughs> we all
0: heard it. We all heard it. In fact, it has been, that's been heard around the world. We keep getting comments on so. that. So <laughs> Did you hear about the Keith Enright uh, edition of, of Phantom India, for, which is Arc Devin's uh, uh, hope for an upgrade? That's right. The one with, just with, turn with the no damn volume off. <laughs> yes. None mm-hmm. of that uh, Louis Mall persnickety talking. You're crazy on, on the
1: on the no Louis Mall talking, but that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> we can still be friends. All right. Well, I'm sitting here living with it just fine. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't want it to be Good. eating you alive, you know.
0: <laughs> we don't want to change anybody. Um, well, anyway, we well this was acknowledged on the 2017 wish list episode um, that came out a few weeks ago. Uh, but some of you listening to this episode may not have heard it on there. Maybe wondering where Ryan is. And um, David went into a little bit of detail in that episode just to say that Ryan has decided to step back a bit from the podcasting, uh, but he is still running things behind the scenes, still very much uh, you know a part of all of this just uh not going to be a voice on the on the episodes right now so we're we're just uh moving forward with it with the stuff that he set up that we've all grown to love so much so we miss him um he's always he's always fun to have on here uh but we'll move forward tonight and hope that uh, hope that we have a, a good episode and you know maybe he'll maybe he'll leave us a comment let us know how things Maybe. how it went. <laughs>
3: or he'll be yelling at the uh, at his computer when he's listening. Yeah,
0: every, everyone, listen in, see if you hear Ryan uh, cursing you for for your choices. So, um, anything anyone else wants to say on on that or on on anything that we brought up so far? All good. All right. I think we're good. Well, I hope you've all had a great New Year so far. Um, we are recording this on the first Friday night of 2017. But we're going to be looking back to 2016, a year which by many measures and for many people was absolutely despicable. Uh, waste, just a, a bunch of garbage going on all year. Um, and I don't want to minimize the real pain that's out there for, for people who are you know happy that 2016 is, o- is over and are looking forward to better things in the future. But I want to say that I think when it comes to the Criterion Collection, 2016 was a special year for me and uh, I think particularly worthy of the celebration and the time we're going to devote to reminiscing about it tonight um, I think it was just outstanding. I think this is one of the one of my favorite years since I've been following them for you know about 10 years now. Um, I can't think of another year that I've been shocked so often by what they're releasing shocked in a good way. And it's just been, it's been tremendous. It was very hard to prepare for this episode because I think there are a lot of great things out there. Um, What do you all think?
3: I absolutely agree. For me personally, uh, the year started out horribly. David Bowie died It never got any better, that's for sure. And, uh, but from a criterion standpoint, I'm really glad that we're able to, um, you know, kind of put a bow on a really bad year by talking about some Really fantastic uh, films and media that they sent our way. It certainly is the counterpoint um, to a the point of the uh, just a very horrible year from a entertainment standpoint.
0: Yeah, yeah. Anybody else?
2: Well, I think it was just a, a good year of discovery. There were a lot of and new. Uh, new voices, new perspectives, uh, you know, it's interesting. I think even a couple of years ago in one of these year-end episodes, you know, we were talking about, you know, what do we expect for the year ahead? And I think I recall making a point that, you know, a lot of the uh, more obvious, uh, you know, art house classics or whatever that, uh, you know, had we had come to sort of expect from Criterion might have been released and that they were going to be stretching things in a, in some new ways. And, and I think they've fulfilled that promise and, and, Done quite well, just this the variety of genres the uh the introduction of you know like the, uh, the Coen brothers and and uh, just you know some 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 interesting things from uh you know parts of Hollywood history that had not been so well represented in the collection uh you know there there were some real real great discoveries, and I think that was one of the the key elements of this year as well as you know some pretty epic sets you know the decalogue and and a few others that I'm sure will be discussed as we get into our lists. Um, So, yeah, yeah, just a very solid lineup, Uh, pleasant surprises, uh, some very gratifying uh, reintroductions. You know, we kind of talked about that last time when we were thinking about some of the old Laserdisc titles that have been kind of rescued from Oblivion and and, uh, come at us with sparkling new additions. So... Uh, and it looks like you know the year's off to a very solid start with the uh the first three months that have been introduced and, and announced already. And of course just starting next week we will start getting our first uh, twenty seventeen releases on the shelf. So uh I think the, the good role is gonna continue. Yeah,
1: you know, I think it's a very interesting time to be a uh, uh whatever we are, criterion enthusiast, uh criterionophile, whatever we are. Um <laughs> you know, it's um uh a lot of interesting sort of, uh, factors coming together at the same time. So, uh, on the one hand, you know, as the, the physical media thing, it, uh, declines from its peak, Criterion suddenly has the access to get films that, you know, no one ever thought were possible, uh, way out of, out of, um, out of reach. And that's very exciting, at least, you know, until it all inevitably collapses. And then, um, on the flip side, the, we're once again in a, in a technology transition and it's really unclear, uh, whether, you know, th- are, are they not upgrading discs because they're concerned about, you know, UHD, are we back in like 2006, 2007, where they weren't sure if it was Blu-ray or HD DVD. So I think, you know, on the one hand, uh, and then on some mythical third hand, the 4k TVs are making it. So I care less about uh, upgrades from DVD to Blu-ray as well. So it's, it's, um, it's a very fun period to just like watch and 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 there's a lot. Um, it seems like we're in sort of a mini peak, which is nice.
5: I'd also say that uh, at least for me, it felt like the supplements have been getting better and they've been doing more commentary tracks again. And so it kind of feels like in that regard, they're kind of back on a good track from, you know, when they first slimmed down from the dual formats to the back to Blu-ray and DVD separate releases and kind of slimmed down the booklets. I think there's also a general slimming down of su- the supplements all around. It kind of feels like they're, picking back up in that regard, and that's exciting for me.
0: Well, and Scott, a few years ago, I don't remember if it was last year or the year before, you mentioned in your disappointments that fewer titles came out that you were interested in picking up. Um, Was that different this year? Uh, Yeah, although... Did you feel like there were more?
5: For financial reasons, I still am slightly more limited than I think a lot of you guys. I get to around 20 to 25 releases a year but there are definitely more that I felt like I was missing out on. So there's uh, that, and then the ones that I did get, I'm I think I'm more enthusiastic about.
0: Good, good. Uh, here in a few minutes, we're gonna you know start objectifying these releases, and then we're gonna move into our top three favorite le- releases for the year. But I did want to start out by just looking at the year. Um, you know, Scott kind of brought up a little bit of this. I think that I I would agree. There there seems to be more supplements, more commentaries um, the packaging, you know, maybe, maybe I'm just getting used to it, but it seems to be going up as well. So, um, so, but, but let's step back a second and not talk about the things that are, they're doing well. I think there's a lot of that, you know, uh, every year we kind of get into the disappointments. Um, let's expunge as much of that negativity as we can right now, and talk about any disappointments, things that we hope Criterion does better in 2017 than they did in 2016, or, or things that we're a little bit concerned about because of the trajectory of 2016. Any anything out there? Um, maybe let me go around the table just to get, uh, get your thoughts uh, this way, and you can chime in as however you want. But uh, Arik, is there anything you'd like to bring up as a disappointment for 2016?
1: Uh, I think. It's disappointment is a strong word for me this year because I'm pretty happy, I have to say. But uh, if it once you're very happy, then that's when you start looking for nits to pick, right? So um, these are all
0: nits, yeah, for me, these too. are all
1: <laughs> nits for sure. But I would say that um, obviously the lack of upgrades, as I said, I don't care as much because of the 4K TV, but it's still. You know, there's some stuff that I would really love to see upgraded, especially some early things that are pretty garbage, uh, like uh, Taste of Cherry, things like that. We talked about that on the last episode. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing is that Filmstruck, while uh, very intriguing and while I think it it has a bright future, has some technical stuff so far that worries me a little bit Um, as someone who... Uh, works, you know, in that field, there's some warning signs that I'm not loving. Some things that lead me to believe that their technology side of things isn't really where I was hoping it would be, and um, I'm a little concerned about that. Uh, so I- I'm hoping that that kind of they kind of prove me wrong on that. But um, I think those are my my big things. But those are really pretty pretty minor.
0: Okay, yeah. Anything in particular on film struck? I mean. Are these concerns that you have just for how they're even going to pull it off over time, or are they just temporary technical things like, oh, it's not available on all the platforms it should be, or they don't have this feature up there yet? But hopefully, they get to it. Or are you like, oh dear, I'm seeing some tea leaves here. This isn't. This is never going to be what it could be.
1: Well, just you know, their their apps on both um, iPhone and, and Apple TV are lacking. They they really feel like apps done by people who don't really know exactly what they're doing. They're not very native. They um, are missing pretty common features. They work in oddly weird different ways. I cannot figure out how to turn on subtitles uh, on films on Filmstruck like that don't have them by default, you know, English language films, which is important in my house because English is not my um, girlfriend's first language. And uh, just various things where they, you know, the iPhone app didn't support m- my phone size natively for... Like many releases, uh, uh, just you know, and they're, I'm sure they're a small team, and I'm sure they're outsourcing stuff, and 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 hopefully it'll just keep getting better. But the app feels I, I I've said this before, and I I think people don't see what I'm talking about, but it, it might be like a chef versus a patron kind of thing. Uh, the app feels clunky to me. It, it feels like it's lacking in fluidity, and and it feels uh, a bit. Mm, I, I get frustrated with it a lot. So, I, I just in purely in technical terms, I'm just concerned that you know TCM and, and Criterion are phenomenal film companies, but they're not technology companies. And whoever they're partnering with to do the technology has not uh, not wowed me so far.
3: I would have to agree. It almost feels like kind of like a, it was built with a app in the box type application. You know, it's, it it just seems to have some very perfunctory cut and paste type functionality. But I don't. I, I I still hope in the future for, you know, those those fine features that, that you're sort of talking about, Arik. I mean, an example for me is, you know, you go to browse and, you know, I can go on the website and browse all the titles by, you know, alphabetically or whatever. But on the app, you go over there and you say browse and it's already broken out into categories for you. And it's like, well, that's that's you're making it hard for me
1: yeah there's a lack of attention to detail in from companies that are known for their attention to detail and uh yeah. and so you want the app to feel as good as anything else they do and it just doesn't you
2: do kind of wonder if this was driven by the expiration of Criterion's Hulu contract just to kind of fill that void they didn't want to reup it so i don't know it's just a speculation on my part but uh, and i i really only watch it on my computer or on my phone cuz i do like the Roku box and that's not really happening yet. So that's a little disappointing that to me, it seems like Roku is a pretty standard platform for streaming, but they're not ready yet. They've promised it this year, but there's 11 months and three weeks uh, in this year. So I I hope it's sooner rather than later.
0: Yeah. Some things that I've noticed too, like if I want to search by director, I don't really know how to do that. Or if I find a film by a director it's nice on Criterion's website you can just click on that name and it shows you all the films by that director or when they're when they're keeping their site maintained well at least. Um, but I haven't found a way to do that on the filmstruck apps. Um, it seems a little bit more difficult and so I search by director's name and you know I, I think I might get all of them but I get a lot of other things as well. so yeah I hear you I hear you and uh, thanks for clarifying.
3: They're relying a lot on the related titles type type situation, and I've yet to see any sort of um, interface or app for any sort of movie service where that really means a lot. I mean, some of those quote-unquote
0: related titles are like, how the hell is that a related title? (laughs) (laughs) Yep, I I was looking through it today and had... Had about that same exact thought go through my head with a few of them.
1: Yeah. Um, so the, the final thing I'll say about that, sorry, uh, Trevor. is No, that, I was um, actually going to say,
0: is there anything you want to add before I oh. move <laughs> on to David? So you just, uh, <laughs> you, just you anticipated it.
1: <laughs> uh, is that it? it is important, uh, and I do want to distinguish between. Um, features that are not there yet that would be awesome and things that are there but not done well. So I think that, um, you know, it's very understandable that it there it's very new, and like um, David said, it may be, may, they may have been up uh, against that Hulu deadline, that uh, that there's a lot of things that I think they could add that would be awesome, and I, I think it as a platform, it could grow into a lot of really great directions, and there's all kinds of ideas I have for how they could do that. My concern, though, is that, like, if the if the basics are not really right, you know, you do the smallest the, the, the idea is you do the smallest number of things you can get away with and you just nail them. And and the fact that they haven't done that, that it feels very disjointed and, and feels a bit uh buggy and kinda hacky is is where my concern is. So I'm hoping that before they go off and add uh more flashy features that they really solidify the the core experience and get that get that really right and then move forward. Mm-hmm. But we'll see.
0: Yeah. All right. David, any disappointments that you want to bring up? Oh, uh, yeah, I
2: think I'd probably be pretty quick. I mean, obviously, no new Eclipse series uh, releases is kind of a bummer, but we've pretty much uh, covered that territory before. We do have the, you know, the the pretty strong hint of a Luis Garcia Berlanga set coming up sometime in the foreseeable future, so that... <laughs> Flame still flickers, so good for them. Um, but as far barely. Yeah, barely. Yeah, the right, like right. spark
0: that I can see sometimes. Yeah, yeah.
2: Before the end of the decade, we hope so, yeah.
0: But, but as far as
2: the upgrades, I I guess a concern that I have is that other than Carnival of Souls, uh, none of the really early titles were upgraded this year. All of the early titles that, uh, or all of the DVDs that did make it into Blu-ray editions all seemed like you know, pretty, pretty, you know, relatively recent picks, things like Bicycle Thieves and uh, Woman in the Dunes and, uh, you know, a few others like that, that were also, were all, they were already pretty solid, pretty decent DVDs. Of course, it's nice to have the the Blu-ray, the high def and all that. But, you know, what, what had been sort of a methodical kind of re- uh, revamping of the early spines um, seems to have ground to a halt. It seemed like You know, for a few years, Criterion was pretty much just steadily going through those first uh, hundred numbers and and just picking out, you know, a good eight or ten or twelve of them each year. And you could sort of count on that, and that just didn't happen this year. So uh, while I want to see, you know, continued DVD to Blu-ray upgrades, I'm especially, you know, uh, hungering for those early non-anamorphic titles, uh, those those products at Criterion should sort of feel embarrassed about selling at the full SRP. Uh, they, they should be upgraded. I, I would at least hope so. So as much as it's within my power to make demands, uh, I'll go ahead and, you know, put it on their desk.
0: No, I think that's a great one because so many of those do – it isn't just that the transfers look bad or that they're early. It's that they're not even suitable to play on current technology, really. I mean, they yeah, they exactly. really do look bad on on TVs. I, I guess I don't know how they look on, on your UHD TVs. Um, have you put in summertime yet?
2: <laughs> I, no, I have not actually. That's a, a good <laughs> test, but I, I'm curious. Not,
1: yeah. The Non-anamorphic is going to be the killer.
0: That's, like, that's the thing. I'm wondering if, if, even if the UHD is helping it out in some ways, just the, the fact that it looks so bad might be an issue. All right. Uh, David, um, anything else? Uh, did I, did I catch uh, you I
2: think I've covered, I've covered my turf there. That's good.
0: All right. Keith, uh, anything that, uh. That you want to be uh, bringing up, I I know I yelled at you at this part and yet last year, but I genuinely do like to know your opinion, and um, you can be negative, you know, we'll we'll we'll, we'll work with it.
3: <laughs> I think it's because I'm just overall so positive about this company that my negatives <laughs> come They're across shocking. a little strong. <laughs> yeah, you know, I I have to say that when I was thinking about this category, I went more with very specific discs. So maybe that's not the way we're going with it this year, but I will, well, I I would, I would put a little bit of a shiny bow on, on David's concerns because I've heard it probably brought up amongst us or on criterion forum or other places that, you know, I, I think a very good, um, uh, argument can be made that one of the reasons that we've had so few upgrades is because they have so much material available to them right now which of course is a, a good problem to have that mm-hmm. they're focusing on getting out some of these titles while while the iron is hot so to speak
0: yeah yeah i think that and and they are they're, it it feels like they're almost overwhelmed with goodness right now so
3: yes yes you know and i and i would agree that i've seen maybe somewhat of an intangible but it feels like the the packaging and and the care put into them has been uh coming back up i think for some of the bigger releases we're seeing um a few more booklets than we might have expected to see a year ago which is great um you know i often wonder you know the you know some of these other boutique labels that seem to put out such amazing packaging all the time and I think one of, you know, again, a thing where Criterion gets hobbled by its own success is, you know, unlike some of these other boutique labels, they've got um, they've got quite a bit of an overhead. So, you know, I'm sure they're always watching every single penny and, and you know, sometimes you might have to have some lesser packaging at the expense of maybe um, funding another um, uh, restoration or something. So they... they you know, they're certainly not a huge company, but compared to some of these others, they—I'm sure—they feel that way.
2: Well, they have to make you know tens of thousands of copies to go into all the Barnes and Nobles and libraries right. and all the places right. that they just have to stock those shelves. Whereas the boutique label can do three thousand, five thousand, lavishly packaged, sell them all off, make a little bit of money, but they just don't. And then it's a even sometimes a limited edition, so
5: right. you know, they can right. kind
2: of put all the bells in there and and just sell it for what it is. Yeah, Criterion, they have to be also committed to, you know, reproducing and and continuing to issue these films. And, of course, we've seen them sometimes slim down the packaging after the first editions run its course. But they still have to put it out there in one form or another.
3: Right. All by way of saying that it's understandable to me. It just, you know, when you're holding it in your hand, it, it, it doesn't avoid you being a little disappointed sometimes on what you got. Um, As far as my specific complaints, I'll I'll do it quickly and not as vociferously as previous years. (laughs) Um, Number one, we've talked about this, um, you know, I complained about the Ingrid Bergman having its own spine number. I complained about it before I watched it. I have now watched it and I still complain. (laughs) I still don't understand why it's its own release. And I think, Criterion Forum, as many complaints as I might have around there sometimes, I think they they really hit home when they when they uh, voted it the best
1: supplement of the year. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. I had it that as most <laughs> unnecessary release on there. I didn't see yeah, the that. same much. thing.
3: <laughs> <laughs> um, uh after all of the, after all of the uh well I'm going to skip that one but uh one thing that really struck me as a Paul Thomas Anderson fan is I was I was really glad that we got Punch-Drunk Love uh within the collection you know I've been expecting it for a decade so it's nice that it's here but what I'm what I'm disappointed in is that after all of these years um that PTA still didn't take the time to be a strong presence on the disc uh uh so when I look at it, you, you know the original Super Bit disc that I had from Sony a decade ago or longer, you know, it was a vi- it had two discs, but there's not a lot of stuff on there because they used all the all the data for the higher resolution. And you know, after the amazing sets, especially of Boogie Nights, with you know, of course, it started at Criterion on Laserdisc, and then um, they ported over most of that uh, to the new line disc. Um, you know, it was an amazing package. Magnolia was an amazing package, if a bit more self-indulgent on what they put on there. And then Punchdrunk on Clubs comes out, and Paul Thomas Anderson's really not around for it, uh, for a lot of it. You know, maybe he decided he said everything he needs to say about filmmaking, but when when this when this finally was coming around, I'm like, oh, good, now we're going to get the full PTA experience on a film where he hasn't said a whole lot about it for a lot of years, and it didn't happen. And... Other than the Criterion C and a couple of features and the high definition we get with the Blu-ray, um, it doesn't feel a lot different than the original disc that came out.
0: Well, and so that's what I have to say. He's obviously friendly with the Criterion collection. I mean, he showed up to do... Um, Robert for the Robert Downey Senior yeah. set, features that didn't even show up on a disc anywhere—they're just online. So you know, maybe he's mad about that. <laughs> <laughs> he's, uh, you can release my film, but I'm not going to be a part of it. No, I yeah. I, I, I haven't seen that. um I haven't gone through that release yet. So, but he's uh, waiting for Putney yeah. Swope
2: on Blu-ray until then. There he's there, embargoed. Yeah.
0: Right? He's the only Blu-ray. one. <laughs> <laughs>
4: That sounded like mead.
0: (laughs) All right. Thanks, Keith. Um, Scott, uh, anything from you as far as disappointments on the year?
5: Um, I mean, looking through the stack of titles I have, I don't really have any, you know, real grief with Criterion as far as the quality of the releases they put out. So I I guess this will be my chance to say that this was the first year in the past eight or nine with no Ingmar Bergman release, which is, of course, uh, slightly disappointing to me, but I'm sure... Criminal. Yes. uh, Sure. Let's go far that further. Uh, Let's say it's criminal. Uh, (laughs) But I I have hope for the new year, as always, and then his centenary is coming up in 2018, so I hope they'll celebrate it justly. Um, So I guess... All I'm left with then are just a couple of larger concerns, Uh, the kind of box – what do you guys call it? The box set breakouts um, in terms of pulling out one title for upgrade and then sending the rest to out-of-print land. Uh, That's a bit worrying. I think it only happened once this year, but it's still the kind of thing you don't want to see become a trend. And then just kind of along the same lines, kind of the soft out-of-print stuff that kind of happens where they'll be like, you know, buy it on Amazon. You can buy used releases and it's not – Technically out of print, but it's not really actively in print either, and we're kind of left in a sort of limbo area with some of these titles that is uh, not great. I, I know asking a company to keep you know nearly nine hundred titles in print at all times is a, a big ask, but it's nice to have some clarity at the very least.
0: Yeah, those are those are confusing. With like the BRD trilogy, I mean, over the past yeah, five, five or years six years, point. did they really not have enough to print even? A small run to to keep us going until they got those upgraded. I, I'm assuming, based on what they've said, that's the holdup. I don't know, but yeah, yeah, that is disappointing.
1: There's a few of those sets, and I mean, at least with the Teshigahara set, as tragic as I think it is that they that you're pretty clear now they're not going to do it, right? But it's like the Three Silent Classics by Josef von Sternberg. I mean, that thing sells for crazy prices now, yeah. and, mm-hmm. and 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 it could just be waiting there and BRD. I don't even I mean, none of these, they they still have the rights, as far as I can tell, to all of these films. It is it is that. Thank you, Scott, that for reminding me. That is a big disappointment for this year for me.
0: Yeah, let's get those out again. They're they're great films. And the thing that's kind of sad about this is, I don't know, you go to these forums and or Facebook or the Web page. And I know they're they're not always catering, but even in some of the podcast interviews that they've done, um, with the executives at Criterion, they know that a big part of their fan base and new buyers is, you know, new cinephiles—people who are just getting into it. College-age people, you know, they've got a lot of us who have who have grown up. But that's that's when I found them. Um, was when I was uh, in college, and uh, I know that they have a big growing fan base there. It'd be nice if, uh, if, and again, it is a big ask, as Scott said, but. Uh, a lot of these uh, these younguns are, are not getting to know some of these great things that, that Joseph von Sternberg sets. What brings this to mind, in particular, because they're not available right now. You know, can't expect them to go out and pay for that. And um, you know, again, not that it's Criterion's uh, sole intent, and you know, they have to make money, and but they're they're not meant to keep us all just steadily imbibing on film school stuff, but. That that would be nice for many reasons, but that would be nice. Uh, anything else, Scott?
5: Uh, no, that covers it.
0: All right. Um, well, you know, I my main complaint is definitely that this is the first year that they haven't done any eclipse sets. But again, as David said, we've been through that. So I do go pretty pretty nitpicky with my my secondary complaint or disappointment, and and that's the the. This is going to be really nitpicky. I'm curious if you guys think I've gone too nerdy out there. <laughs> it's the menu screens um, on the Blu-rays. Oh. It, it seems No, no I, I, I'm
5: completely I, with you. I'm glad you called that out.
0: Yep, <laughs> yep. Endorse. Uh, yeah, they, they. It seems more and more rare that there's anything in there other than maybe a, a, a still or even a, even a rendering of the of the cover with some of the title treatment on there and, and some soundtrack playing in the background. And sometimes yeah. the soundtracks are picked, you know, that are kind of interesting um, parts of the film. You know, just sound effects, and other times it's just part of the main score. But they used to do these really fun animated menu screens. Um, and they just weren't really there this year. I, I actually, this is where I get really nerdy. I did spend um, most of my Wednesday night going through all of the releases of the year just to look at their menu screens. And there's only a handful that have anything animated, and, and most of those are just um, kind of like trailers for the films. There's still a lot of fun, you know, things like Blood Simple. That's a, that's fun. I can put that in, and I can watch it, and get excited to watch the film. Um, but the, you know, the one that had an animated, you know, not just uh, parts of the film was Lady Snowblood and it just had an umbrella spinning and no music. And that's it. And I thought, OK, that that's <laughs> what I want, but not that.
4: <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> yeah. But um, but, you know, I I, I think we're going to talk about our favorite covers here in a minute and our favorite packaging and, you know, for me, when I get a Criterion release, I love to go and look through all of that, peruse it, and then put in the disc and just, you know, kind of sit there and enjoy the menu screen because a lot of times it can be so fun um, and get you really excited for the film. I'm thinking of a, a few years ago, things like um, oh, um, the, the Phantom Carriage. That's one of my favorite menu screens ever. Yes, um, it's yes. just beautiful it's it's sad, it's fun to watch it's artistically done um, and I think they had a, a bunch at that time, I mean I didn't spend Wednesday night going through all the releases I have from years past but it, it feels like they have um, they've kind of gone down in that area um, when to me that's kind of part of the package, that's part of the fun and anticipation of of getting a Criterion release, it's part of the presentation of the film um, just like the cover and the packaging is, you know, you put it in there and there's this special screen and all too often this year, particularly with the old black and white films, it was just a steal from the, from the film and some, uh, some music playing in the background. Um, not again, always music
5: even what's that? Oh, just not always some music even. Sometimes yeah. it's just silent. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Though that was
4: fairly
3: rare. I wonder rare. if this. I wonder if this just ties into some of their budgetary constraints, too, because I, I have a whole folder of links and stuff that I'm, you know, that I've kind of saved for articles on my webpage, uh, which is, as we all know, a bit dormant, because we all know it's easier to yak into a microphone than type with your fingers, but um, I, I do have some links in there. Uh, I follow on Vimeo a gentleman by the name of Ian D. Whalen, if probably how you say it, and... Um, his Vimeo page has a lot of the Criterion menus that he's done over time um you know ones that have been crafted to to be somewhat like you said Trevor like a trailer and with some music and you know kind of building to some sort of crescendo where it all starts over again um and i haven't looked at that his links in a while but i don't think that he really is being used by Criterion much anymore and i just wonder if it's just one of those unfortunate uh This costs us money that we don't want to spend right now.
0: Yeah. And in a a day where, you know, even the Island of Lost Souls of all things had a fun animated menu with all those animal parts and uh, things kind of Mm -hmm. playfully used all over the screen, you know, that just wouldn't happen today. I'm 99% confident that that release would not look that way um, today. Uh, and yeah, that's kind of a small thing, but um, still, it, it was appreciated by by me.
2: <laughs> right, I, I I think they can probably make a justifiable marketing decision that those things don't really add, add or, you know, the absence of them don't really subtract from their overall sales. You know, but you're right; those they're nice little grace notes. The Criterion brand is now pretty well established. They may not feel the necessity to to work quite as hard. And on that same same note, uh, a lot of the uh, interiors, you know, when you open the case, you'll just see like a blank or a mono color. Uh There's nothing on the other side. There, there's still a fair number of them that have some kind of illustration or a photo still or something on the inside of the cover that you can see through the case. But, uh, you know, you mentioned Lady Snowblood. That's just a white cover inside. The executioner, I think, is, is plain inside. Um, yeah, so... Not even not even a color like both Lady Snowblood and the Executioner are both just nothing. <laughs> They're just like empty cases. So <laughs> so you know that's you know it didn't seem well, like they really did that as much. You know
0: when you put when you move the disc in Lady Snowblood, there's a big splatter of blood behind the disc. So it's a little deceptively white oh, there. Okay, that oh, was a nice go. surprising touch because I remember opening that and thinking, what <laughs> this is such a vibrant film, <laughs> and then. You know, they got me well, sure <laughs> a enough, little there bit there, but you're right. Um, but those I, are just I a couple that way. happen
2: to be sitting in front of me on my table at the moment, but I think that that, that, right. that mm-hmm. extends considerably. Now, you know, you've still got a Decalogue package, you've got the Vim vendors, and we'll talk about packaging and stuff. But, yeah, there's some great But you're stuff right, they, sure. they kind of pour it on for a few, and then the rest kind of get more uh, run-of-the-mill treatment.
0: Which, you know, it, it does make some releases. If they did it with every single release, all these bells and whistles... Um, well, maybe it wouldn't be as appreciated uh, when 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 it's absent. If everybody we, we gets it. a
3: trophy, nobody gets a trophy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, I don't. Know, any anything else that we want to to spend some time airing out our grievances, or should we move on to our our more positive notes? Let's get positive. Let's get positive. Yes. All right. So Feels much for better. that then. Um, obviously, you can keep kindly pointing out if you have different perspectives <laughs> from someone else later in the show as we get to their favorites. Um, but uh, but are there any general – we've we've touched on this a little bit, but are there any positive trends, um, surprising supplements, um, anything that we aren't touching on directly later in the, on in the show that really impressed you? Um, about Criterion's 2016. I mean, we're, we aren't having a, a segment dedicated to favorite supplements or favorite booklets. Uh, so is there anything like that that you just, you can't not bring up because it was such a nice surprise?
2: It seems like they're less reliant on the poster foldouts uh, than they were uh, immediately following the the Death mm-hmm. of Dual format. There's a few posters and you know um uh, the lady snowblood poster is kind of nice uh, to have just art on the one side and a few others i think um i think fantastic planet has a poster yeah a little bit more of a mixed result there but yeah it seems like the the booklets are are becoming a little bit more frequent so that's a good sign
0: or even just the accordion fold out uh, and and some of them are pretty long i mean you you fold that thing mm-hmm. out and it goes across the whole table but are, are any of you coming around on the poster no. I don't like it when I try to read the <laughs> no. the essay, but sometimes, you know, like La Chienne, I think that has a poster in it that's pretty fun to see that big. I don't know. I, I I'm I'm kind of, I'm not as negative as I used to be on the posters.
3: Well, this goes back, I mean, here's, I'm going to date myself. I mean, going all the way back even to, you know, 1976 when I got my issue of Dynamite Magazine and... <laughs> You know, and they and they'd have a you know poster that you can frame. It's like, well, yeah, but it's a poster you folded four times. Yeah. That, why would I ever? Why <laughs> would I ever take the time to put that in a frame or on my wall? And because it is integral to the booklet, you know that it's part of the it's part of the package. I'm gonna I'm gonna look at the poster once, and that's it. So no, um, you no, know, chime, you're not, coming yeah. <laughs> no, not coming
0: around.
1: No, not coming. The creases no. are the deal yeah. breaker for me, and it just feels cheap. And I, I, I don't. Some of the images are cool. I'll give you that. They, yeah, they I, I've never taken nice. one out and
0: thought I would ever hang it up. But some, you know, again, when I was going through the boxes, I thought, oh yeah, I remember pulling that out months ago, and and here it is again, and kind of kind of getting a, a you know a bit of a uh, tickle from that.
1: On a more positive a very, note. I do want to shout out that Shogun Assassin is on the Lone Wolf and Cub series, because that's awesome. That's an entirely different film, which they are also doing. His Girl Friday is 2017? No. Yeah, yeah, it comes out next week. So I will not mention that, and it's extra bonus film. But bonus films are amazing, and uh, Shogun Assassin is especially amazing because, you know, that's like... In a whole different era, genre. I mean, it's ah, it it's just really great to have that available. So, good yeah,
0: job, Keith. Anything else that you wanted to bring up?
3: Well, yeah, especially since, you know, here I go again, <laughs> the most angry I got tonight was about a damn In poster. the positive but, section, a uh, uh, no less. <laughs> um, yeah, in the positive section, um, I, I wrote down a couple of things, but one thing that uh, I, I really like, and, and there has been a plethora of it this year, is the conversations um, as opposed to talking heads supplements. I mean, I, I, I love almost all supplements that Criterion has ever put out, but... To have this you know, a, quite a few this year conversations, such as oh, you know, Christian Petzold and Nina Haas on Phoenix, um, definitely the the boyhead conversations with uh, John Pearson, really good stuff. Um, the Gilmer de Toro with the Cohen brothers, and Barry Sonnenfeld with the to- Coen Cohen brothers with the added extra benefit of a Cellustrator. I mean that that to me is that's one hell of a supplement. So I really liked that they've kind of you know opened it up a bit instead of a a a a invisible narrator. You know we've got full conversations going on, and I and I think that really does add a extra bit of gravy to a to a a, a good conversation.
0: And some of them so surprising too. I mean, who would have? I I, I wouldn't have thought that a supplement on uh, a Coen Brothers release would be them talking to Del Toro. That just didn't cross my mind beforehand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but what a great conversation they have. I agree with you there.
3: Well, one of the, my one of my favorite memories of all time was back in 1998, be, being able to be in the audience where uh, Roger Ebert interviewed Werner Herzog for two hours. And, you know, it just it was such a special memory for me. So to see... That type of environment kind of brought onto the disc in a more um, uh, prominent role is is very nice for me.
1: There's nothing better than seeing Werner Herzog speak. It's so wonderful.
0: That's true. <laughs> <laughs> he he probably wasn't even talking sense there, and it was awesome. <laughs> and I met him, and he thanked me, and it was awesome. Yeah, it was fantastic. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. That's yeah. That is awesome. I feel awesome just because I'm talking to you now and you talk <laughs> to one herzog. So I appreciate that. Uh Scott, anything that you want to bring up? Any favorite supplements or or just surprises or things that you don't wanna go without mentioning?
5: Yeah, I do wanna to- give uh, eternal thanks to Criterion for putting out two Alain Rene films in very good yeah. transfers this year. Uh, I yeah. won't mention them in the main section because as releases on the whole, they're, you know, a little so-so, but it is nice to have the films themselves looking so good.
0: Yeah. I, I noticed um, that you didn't have it on, on your, on your list there at the end. And so I'm glad you're able to bring it up up here. Um, and, and my positive thing is kind of along those lines is, is the transfers. I, I don't know if I ever had sensitive enough eyes to see all the things the people were complaining about with encoding issues in the past, but these Blu-rays this year, uh, they stunned me time and time again with how beautiful that they looked. I thought, and I don't know if it's because of the transfers um, or the encoding that it just looks better and I can just sense the difference, or if the restorations are better or what they've done. But things like the like one eyed jacks it was beautiful. I was just sitting there, you know, with my mouth wide open, not just because of the movie, which I loved, but because it looked so amazing from start to finish, just beautiful colors, beautiful clarity um i I think that whatever issues they were going through um seemed to have been fixed. Uh, not that I had major complaints again over years past, but I think that they've done a tremendous job um, moving the trend toward very solid transfers on these Blu-rays. Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, it's it's awesome.
2: A few years ago, like uh, Children of Paradise, The uh, Earrings of Madame yeah, and yeah. a few others were kind of getting those I did notice kind of getting shredded <laughs> by the you know the real uh, you know hi-fi video files out there. And yeah, I've watched them. I I watched them on my old setup, and we'll see if they uh, you know seem to. Uh, have any glaring weaknesses as we compare them to the more recent crop? But you're right. I don't think that anybody's been howling about any criterion transfers that I'm aware of this year, uh, from from beginning to end.
0: Yeah. Well, the, people were complaining about the Fantastic Planet one about the colors. Oh yeah. Well, um, was that a complaint of, you know, think, or was
2: it just a difference? Because I felt like
0: I think yeah. there there are always people complaining about any of this. But <laughs> <laughs> true, true. But and and know, if
2: people uh, kind of bonded with the older dvd or even vhs colors i mean i i i would tend to trust the the more recent version as probably more faithful to the original but like i say if it, uh, it
0: looked yeah. it looked great mm-hmm. by my eyes but i wasn't yeah. comparing it to some some prior thing and i didn't mind that the the skin of the The aliens was blue. They looked great blue. I mean, (laughs) you know. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, that was the only one that I can think of that that, uh, rings a bell right now as far as complaints about it. I think every once in a while people are complaining about a tint. You know, this is now on the green side of things or the blue side of things. But, yeah, I don't remember anything about people saying this is blocky or compressed weird or, or just was a bad restoration or anything like that. So, excellent job all around on 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 that point this year. I think things just looked beautiful on Blu-ray. Uh um, year. All right. Well, let's move on to the part of the show where we focus on the Criterion release as a thing of physical beauty, as a work of art, uh, something that delights us when we're looking at it and holding it and um, caressing it, smelling it, what, you know, w- we're objectifying this thing. And wherever else you may um, choose to go with your object.
2: packaging, I suppose,
0: right? <laughs> In the privacy <laughs> of your own home. <laughs> oh man, Keith, when you talk about your favorite packaging, um, we'll bring that up again, I think. <laughs> um, all right. Um, so we, we got two categories to go through here. We've got our favorite covers, And we'll just go around the table for that, and then we'll go around again for our favorite overall packaging. So, Arik, let's start with your favorite cover.
1: Indeed. My favorite cover for 2016 is for Edward Yang's A Brighter Summer Day. Uh, It is both a uh, visually appealing cover. It's a cover that doesn't replicate a specific moment from the film i don't think i don't it's a really long film but i do not remember that being in the film and i don't think no so. i don't think it is and it is but it but it absolutely summarizes the film without ruining the film it's just i don't know i i love it uh i i i, I spent a lot of time with this i i looked through all the covers many times again and i kept trying to talk myself out of that one just to see, you know, kind of like playing devil's advocate with myself, and there are definitely some strong runners up for me, but that cover, just from the moment I saw it, I wanted to see the film. I was, I was pulled in. I was, I was curious. I was interested. It's, it's. I don't know. It just has a composition and a and a and a an invitation that I, I just really enjoy. And then after I saw the film, I think the best covers. You you think they look cool when you see them, and then you see the film, and you're like, oh, now I like this even more and and that that works strongly for me with this one
0: well and that's a photograph taken by edward yang um but yeah you're right it doesn't appear in the film but it's it even has that connection to the film it's not some artist coming up afterwards and coming up it would have been great for that artist had it happened that way but that's an edward yang original here too uh yeah beautiful beautiful cover um it's just got that air of mystery, you know, the, the blood on the shirt. What's that all about? Um, I agree with you 100%. It's a great one.
3: I don't know if it's the best marketing thing to do, uh, but, you know, it. you look at it and you're not really sure what you're seeing. Mm-hmm. And then after you watch the movie, you you know, it really connects with you. And it's almost like you're kind of, you know, sharing a secret with your disc. You know, it, it's it's kind of. Something that people just looking at it don't quite get, and, and you know, those in the know, it really connects.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I, I it, and that's a fun part of it, I think. And I think they do that, maybe not all the time, but there's a, a lot of times. I don't know if their covers. Well, I'm always attracted to most of them, but I think a lot of times they have a special significance after you watch it that that wouldn't ever bring anybody into the film in the first place. So I appreciate that they sometimes let it let that take precedence over splashy marketing.
3: I don't know. I may have said this before on some podcasts, but my years ago my ex wife said to me <laughs> she said I just hate all these Criterion covers. You never know what the movie is about.
4: (laughs) (laughs) What we really need
2: are two big movie star faces cut right down the middle side by side. That'll tell you what the movie's about.
1: (laughs) Oh, you mean like my least favorite cover of the year? Which is? Clouds of Sils Maria. Uh, Ah. I don't mind that one, but... It does fit that
2: mold. Yes, it
4: does. It does. Yeah.
0: Well, all right. Uh, David, you kept us in well, suspense on the list. Yeah. Uh, so. Okay, well,
2: it's it's out there now for, for <laughs> you all to read. But uh, my favorite cover of the year was the first one of the year, actually. It was uh, the Lady Snowblood cover. The complete Lady Snowblood, I guess, is the official title of the disc. And I just kind of went down the line. I pulled out that first one, and I compared it to each cover, and I just kind of kept going through. And it's like, you know what? I just really love the aesthetic beauty of this image and uh you know the lady snowblood films are far from my favorite uh you know works of cinema that criteria released I think you know they're they're fine I, I I appreciate them for what they are but just that cover just really gets to me it's a beautifully uh you know gracious uh, but also uh, powerfully lethal image uh you know the flowing robe the uh the the twirling parasol and then the, there's this disturbing little slice taken out of it the spatter of blood and uh, and just the way that she's holding her sword the way it just kind of lines up so parallel with that uh, that little uh, missing portion of the of the umbrella there, and the flowers that she 's w- wading through, uh, this is definitely a release that I wish they could have done a little bit more with the packaging i 've already mentioned the poster the fold out inside, which is a very nice work of art by angie wang she 's the artist who designed these images but i wouldn 't have mind seeing even more of her work uh, you know sp- uh, spread out throughout uh, uh, the paper supplements there but uh, that was just a, it 's just a really striking image. And uh, I kind of went with the criteria: what would I like to stick up on my wall? And that's one that I actually would would like to have a poster of that didn't have you know eighteen creases in it, and uh, you know was a little bit larger enough and suitable for framing. So that's my favorite cover of the year.
0: It was in contention for me too. Um, anyone else have anything to say about the Lady Snowblood cover?
1: Oh, I just agree; it's a phenomenal it cover. Is. It was also in contention it was for me. Very
3: good. Yes.
0: All right. Well, Keith, what is your favorite cover of the year?
3: Well, according to some of the comments I've already heard, you must all be gritting your teeth. But, uh, um, you know, I, I kind of used the same criteria that David did. I, I started at the beginning of the year, and, you know, would this one's better than that one, and just keep going down the line. But even as I was doing that, I, I kind of knew where I was going to end up, and that is with a very... Uh, pristine and deceptively simple cover for Akira Kurosawa's dreams. Um, you know, people will look at that and say, well, it's just a picture on a white background. Well, yeah, that's exactly what I like about it. You know, I've been watching these Kurosawa discs for 15, 16 years, and in the supplements, um, you will often be privy to some of his um his uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking Storyboard. for, guys? Storyboards. Thank you. I mean, Kurosawa, even without making films, could have been could have been known as, as an amazing artist just for his storyboards. And it's something that I've always just loved to see in the supplements. I've always meant to go and see if there's a book of them all. I don't know if there is, but I've always wondered to myself why haven't they used some of that imagery on one of his covers and lo and behold they finally did it and you know for for a film called dreams where it's a bit on the esoteric side and And also
2: on the very personal side like his own very personal side
3: yes yeah so to me yeah i can go i can go through the year of covers and agree with every one of your choices that that you've come up with and you know there aren't a lot that i hate i never hate very many covers at all but this one more than anything, just because of the way it connects with me um, is the one that I enjoy looking at the most. And it's, it's, it's simple, it's beautiful, and it, it's touching
1: for me. I have only one quibble with this cover, Keith. I think, yeah? I think I agree with you about virtually all of it. I don't like the font they chose for the word dreams. It doesn't work for me. And uh, 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 that's it. Just doesn't it? The, the whole thing fits together, and then I get to that font, and I go, "Oh, why?" Um, but other than that, Todd, I, I love it. Damn it, I agree with you now.
4: <laughs> so sorry,
1: <laughs> you ruined it. I, I
4: like it,
0: Keith. I think it's this nice simple okay, thing that doesn't detract from the rest of it. Yeah. Uh, does that help? <laughs> Did I restore <laughs> restore it? Well, yeah, well, yeah. You, you make a convincing that's good. That's case. Good. Uh, that's a it's it, it, it's a cover that stood out to me, and maybe I did think it was a little s- simplistic, but you know, like we were talking with a brighter summer day, now that I've seen the film, this cover is, is well, that's that particular part of the movie isn't as dark as this cover is. You know, this this rainbow on this cover is just dark colors it doesn't have the blues and the bright colors and then the the background looks like some thunderstorm or or some i don't know fire and brimstone falling from the sky it and that's not the way that this scene is in the movie it's really beautiful it's a mountain pass in the background but the movie itself goes very dark and um has that you know, beauty giving way to darkness, and that's reflected here. And I hadn't noticed that until you said that this was deceptively simple. Um, so, well, I think I like that it.
3: speaks. That can speak. To, yeah, yeah. Thanks. Like I had something to do with it, um, but <laughs> well,
0: you helped me kind of see it differently. Yeah,
3: I, but I think that speaks to the personal aspect of this too, because I just feel like there. You know, Kurosawa is such a. a I would assume, complicated man with all of his, you know, the depression that he went through throughout the years and, you know, he's really a guy who used art to exercise demons whether that's film and now looking at the storyboards, which I, I think every storyboard I've ever seen of his is just absolutely amazing. I don't know how I had time to make a movie. And you know maybe looking at this at the time that he made this storyboard it might have felt like a very dark scene to him and then 2 years later when he gets to the film you know hey that's that's not where I'm at today this this, it, this feels brighter to me now so it to me it's almost like an insight into hmm.
0: him yeah awesome
2: We'll so. Hey, Eric, I'll back you up on that font critique. There. Oh, come
4: on. We just moved away
0: from it.
2: <laughs> well, I will, I will say they, would have, they could never have marketed it as such, but I would have preferred to cover with just the image and that Japanese kanji character or whatever it is. Me too. And, and just true. leave the English yeah. off or put it on the side or put a sticker on there. So that would have been a, mm-hmm. a more sublime. And they've
1: done that. They did that for Fantastic Mr. Fox.
2: Oh, yeah, that's Good right, point. yeah, where it's just art. Well, that's even Wes Anderson. Yeah. 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 yeah, exactly, yeah. Hmm.
0: Well, all right, well, Scott, what is your favorite color cover of the year? not favorite color Well,
5: i had one (laughs) written down but i'm gonna do a last minute switcheroo on you because i have all these laying in front of me and i I (laughs) can no longer ignore the cover for uh the emigrants and the new land oh yeah Uh, i haven't even seen the new Mm. land yet i will get to it someday i'm sure but by the time you get to the end of the emigrants the already lovely cover that criterion selected i think becomes so much richer and so much lovelier and uh yeah, so that's basically what's my favorite. It's an excellently selected image that I think they stylized just enough uh, and just perfectly. And it's kind of the central subject of it, I guess, is minimized in such a way that you can easily glance over it without if you don't know what it's referring to. But once you do, you can't really see it any other way.
2: I had that exact same experience, just like mm-hmm. cause I, I admired the cover when I first bought it. And then you get to that moment in the movie is like, oh, just, you know, revelation just kind of opens up. It's it's a pretty awesome moment.
1: See, this is like it the is. opposite of the Kurosawa cover where they I think that the typography and the surrounding stuff that they did for it fits perfectly in with the image and keeps that sort of 70s feel to the colors and and, and then the classical feel of the film. I think that it just works so well. Yeah, but Jan
0: Troll didn't paint it, so there it doesn't. Work. <laughs> <laughs> he shot it. <laughs> he shot it. <laughs> you know, when I think of this cover, I always think of it even, even more exaggerated. I think of the tree being even bigger and and. Um, and Max von Sydow being even smaller. So I pulled it out when you said that, Scott. This was in contention for my favorite of the year, too. These films are, are something special, and and the cover just does a great job of of bringing all that to light. In fact, I think all, all the covers that we've talked about so far have been ones that meant more, so much more after watching the film. Um, Good point. We'll see if that continues with me. It certainly, <laughs> certainly does for me personally. Um, but my favorite cover of the year is the, the one on La Chienne, um, mm. which the minute that they uploaded that thing and I saw it, I downloaded it and put it as the backdrop to my iPad. And I haven't ever changed it. Um, it's still it's still there. I see it all the time. Um, I just love that image. And I hadn't seen the film yet, but I had kind of started to fall in love with Renoir's um, work, especially his work in the 30s. So I was really excited about it. I love Michel Simone, so that picture just you know really made me excited for the release um, and again, kind of uh, kind of like we 've been talking about after watching the movie, boy, the picture just becomes even more haunting you know as you see michel simone 's character. Kind of leering over what you know looked to be some kind of dead angel falling away into oblivion. I mean, the perspective is is kind of warped on the image, mm-hmm. so you can't really see. You know, it really does kind of look like a pit rather than a bed, which is what it is in the in the film. Um, it's just a, it's a special image uh, that I love. It it's it was made by the French um, graphic novelist Bluche. Um, and I didn't know anything about him. I actually didn't even know that he'd made this cover until I looked it up the other day, just to prepare for this episode. But this past year, I read his graphic novel, Peplum, which came out in an English translation for the first time. Um, it's a lovely graphic novel. that takes place back in ancient Rome. It's it's kind of like *Satyricon* and and all these myths, and it, it fits so well with so many other things in the collection. Um but I was really glad to see that connection um, because I, I kind of started to admire his work with that graphic novel, and didn't know that I was already admiring his work because of uh, this cover of La Chienne. But, but yeah, that's that's my favorite of the year. Though again, kind of like Keith said, I have no quibbles with any of the rest of the ones you guys chose. They could easily have been mine. But this one, this one, you know, stood out to me kind of in a in a way that none other did through through the entire year. So very cool. All right. Should we move on to our favorite overall package? Let's that's next. Let's do it. All right. Arik, we'll start with you again.
1: Yay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my favorite overall package uh, for the year, I have seen none of the film's in the box set. This is, I think, the nicest packaging Criterion may have ever done. And that is the Trilog- Trilogia de Guillermo de Toro. That thing is incredible. Like, I, I, I took that thing out and, and I couldn't believe what I was holding. You know, my, my girlfriend uh, has a background in product design. And and she uh, agrees with my love of Criterion packaging. And I showed it to her and she just went, oh my, wow, that's that is special. Like, just every... Detail of that box for films that I are not. I'm not really a, a modern horror guy. I, I hope I'm gonna like them. I, I guess I haven't even seen any of them, but the the uh, don't, don't hate me, Ryan. But the um the the box <laughs> is just. I mean the details, and then that book. I mean it's like a hundred and fifty page book. They've definitely never done anything quite like that. I mean they've had. You know, uh, book editions of of books that come with films, but this is something very different. And the the, the way that it opens, and the the gold, and the I, I mean, just just that was that is they went real big on that one, and it is it is a thing of absolute beauty. I'm sure that Keith doesn't like that it fits awkwardly on the shelf, but.
3: <laughs> no, I have a, I have a, I have a special place now for my unshelvable discs. Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's sitting right next to, is sitting right next to Zatoichi, <laughs> <laughs> right on. And my Jan is at fifty bucks. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a fantastic package too. Um, and you know, I, I, I would suggest to you are. Don't think of them as horror films. as more of a, a, a phantasm. Or, okay. You know, yeah don't 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 go into it looking for pure horror but more of a, a, a fantasy type angle um, a little they're, bit they're
0: of ghostliness yeah yeah cool my my wife has watched them and she hates horror, and she did she i think she enjoyed them in particular i think that she she likes pan's labyrinth, but she she would never watch a horror movie with me, but somehow I convinced her to watch those and and she she did not consider them. Out of bounds, yeah. They're kind
2: of <laughs> fables with a touch of eeriness yeah. to them, yeah.
0: yeah. Like yeah. fables that's almost. the word I
3: was looking for, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think ah, most okay. of you probably heard my story. Most of you probably heard my story where I uh opened that lovely package and there was no devil's backbone <laughs> disc <laughs> yes. in there, yeah. I remember
1: that, yeah, uh-huh. still beautiful, no, even without the disc, yeah, even exactly. The disc.
0: <laughs> well, that was the only. Package this year that I came home and showed to, to my eight-year-old son, um, who likes movies. He watches a lot of, um, not well, not all of these, but you know, a lot of the ones I think might be appropriate and fun for him. He's, he'll sit down and watch him with me. But that was one that I came home and, and and showed in the package, and he was he was really excited. It just opens up like a box of mysteries, and it's a lot of fun. So I I, I will endorse that pick myself. It was a, a a tough one to not put as my favorite. But um, all right, let's move on to David.
2: Well, my favorite pick kind of for packaging just kind of takes me back to the glory days of uh, the 1970s and the gatefold double albums with all the posters and stickers stickers and booklets and crap that, you know, record companies used to throw in as little enticements. And you just, you know, you knew you'd be getting a nice kick ass album and, and something cool to rock out to. But then you open it up and there's little pockets and little stuffs, you know, kind of just a little little uh, extra you know uh, flares and whistles and things like that 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 just make the package something you know just kind of bitching and awesome to to check out and show it off to your friends and all of that and so uh my favorite package was uh, Stanley Kubrick's Doctor Strange Love or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb so uh it's it's just kind of got that that same retro feel to it you know it's a little slide out uh, digipack there you got a nice little uh, little case that it all holds in with this kind of you know, massive B-52 dropping the big bomb on the cover. You got the inside here. You've got the the two iconic shots of Slim Pickens making his... Last, uh, you know, last whoopee ride down uh, down to ground zero there, and then you open it up, and there's this amazing little envelope. Well, you, you know, the digipack itself, you know, the the atomic bomb blasts, you know, kind of that that uh, final montage there, and I, I just one of my very favorite disc designs ever: nuclear warhead, handle with care. Hi there. <laughs> Just kind <laughs> Pretty pretty awesome little uh dark uh dark subversive wit there. And then of course you get the uh the top secret package there and all the all the stuff that comes tumbling out, including my favorite, which is that little holy bible and Russian phrases for the for the yeah, discredits. Yeah. Uh that little uh, Playboy knockoff of Strange Love magazine. Uh, the top secret memo. I mean, I just, I just love that. It just, it's just, it's just the aesthetics, the touch, the feel of it. Just that kind of geeky little uh, wonderment of like, oh my gosh, they, they just really put some, some uh, loving care into this uh, very, very dark and bitterly hilarious movie. Uh, of course, it's a, it's a classic. It's Kubrick. It's, you know, Cold War paranoia. You know, ratcheted up to the hilt and uh just an item i just love having on my shelf. So that was pretty i i totally hear where you're coming from Arik and, and these there's some other fantastic packages but this is the one that just hit all the sweet spots for me.
1: Oh no, it's an excellent choice. There's it's so fun. It just doesn't it 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 doesn't um it's 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 uh, secrets are a little more hidden. It doesn't wow you quite as quickly, but it has a lot to reveal. It's great. Yeah. Well,
0: that's a good point. Well, I will I will jump in right here and just give my favorite packaging of the year as well since mine's also Doctor Strangelove. <laughs> totally with you on this one, David. And I think didn't you pick Moon, Moonrise Kingdom last year? Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it, it,
2: it's that same that same kind of feel. You know, it's just kind of like the, the special edition with uh, with all the goodies in there. I think what Moonrise Kingdom had the postcards and that little. Uh, kind of boy's life magazine there. Just, you know, I, I just love that stuff. There's kind of a little uh, note of parody and kind of retro appeal. Uh, so, yeah, I guess I'm just a child of the 60s and 70s. What can I say?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was with you on that one, too. I think it's just beautiful. I, I love these that you open and you get to peruse all that, those doodads and ephemera right there. And, you know, I had the Sony Blu-ray of Dr. Strangelove already. I'd had the DVD before that. And I think, you know, various versions of it. Um, and I would have bought this anyway because it's a Criterion release of a film that I love and um, I, I just would have gotten it anyway. But boy, did they make it easy to to not even think twice and to not even make it a thing that I wouldn't recommend other friends who, who, have, who love the film and even have the film. I'd say you got to get this edition. It's so much fun. Um, and, you know, kind of talking with what we did earlier, I, I guess I wouldn't want every Criterion release to come this way but i think they've made good decisions about which ones they play with where you know they had to sit down i mean they they're not making any money on that that little uh, holy bible and and book of russian phrases i mean that's just a very specialized decision that they made to make this thing special and playful and it works for the film kind of like i think moonrise kingdom or the wes anderson films in general work with this kind of whimsy and playfulness they they just uh, it just works I, you know, I guess I also really like the secret compartment on Lone Wolf and Cub, which is an ingenious play on the films and, and, and the packaging that, that goes on in, in some of these. Um, it's just a lot of fun. Um, so so yeah, I'll I'll throw my throw my my two cents in there um, before we move on to the next one. But um, all right, uh, Keith, what is your favorite packaging of the year?
3: so here's the issue with um, best of as much as i love um participating in this um it, it it's so hard it's so subjective it's so you know you know my my favorite my favorite film if i had to pick a favorite film it could probably be more judged on whether i really had to go to the bathroom right now and just needed to pick one you know so it it's it's hard to do so when so when doing something like this you know Obviously, the the Del Toro and the Kubrick that we're talking about are amazing packages, and I very easily could have picked either one as my favorite package of the year. But knowing that I, you know, I'm going third or fourth in the list, by the time you get to me, pretty much all I can say is "Me too." Ah, that's good. <laughs> um, so I, I tried to to. Um, to look at it from a bit of a different angle, and what I came up with, and it's sort of tied to how I picked "Dreams" as my favorite cover. Um, I looked at, you know, what does how do, what does Criterion do best? And for me, the epitome of that is the covers and packaging for the Valley of the Dolls and Beyond the Valley of the Dolls packages. So we've been sitting here for the last couple hours making our complaints, slight complaints known about, um, you know, lack of packaging or lack of specialness. And, you, you know, one answer to that is the del Toro or the strange love, you know, lavish, dare I say, over the top packaging that really catches your eye. And you really look at that and say, yes, this objectively is a modern masterpiece of packaging, but the reason I picked the two dolls movies is because, to me, in these two packages, you have the epitome of what Criterion, at its best, does all the time. I mean, you have two packages that are, the you know, the covers are very, very eye-catching. They they really speak to what the films are about. You look inside, they've got, you know, full booklets, um you know the editorial and design on these booklets is definitely you know uh harkens back to days gone by one criterion did this all the time i mean you've got articles you've got all the different fonts you've they're full of pictures um the 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 disc art uh, as David was just talking about with strange love the disc art is i's very very eye catching it's fun it's it's um you know, you look at both of them, and it's nothing but it's all eye candy. I mean, it's just everything pops, everything is fun, everything is bright, and um, you know that that speaks for the most part to what's going on in these films. It's pop kitsch from a from you know forty to forty five years ago, and to me, I call I call it the best packaging of the year because everything about that. Fits into the story that they're telling about these two films. Cool.
0: Yeah, those are actually two releases I haven't picked up yet this year. Um, I'll. I, I assume you recommend them. Uh, <laughs> I do. I do. We'll, uh, we'll get into more of that later. Yeah, I definitely <laughs> want to
2: do a, a podcast episode on, on at least Valley, and maybe we'll throw Beyond in there as well. But I, I, I really want to talk about those movies for sure.
0: <laughs> All right. All right, two of the I I, I don't have a, a few of them yet from from this year and those are two of them. So I'll work I'll work on that. <laughs> All right, Scott. Favorite packaging of the year from you.
5: Well, I'm going to one up uh, ARC here and not only pick something I haven't seen, but something I don't even own, but thanks to the magic of the internet, I can see the packaging results and go with uh, the <laughs> vim vendors road trilogy you know discount my opinion if, if you must because i haven't held it in my hands and i know it, it's got it's all good fantastic fumes but it it looks pretty stellar uh it looks like the kind of classy presentation i like from criterion with, kind of personalized to the films but uniform in the presentation that you like in the box sets and looks like a good solid booklet and uh really the only reason i don't own it is because the films are readily available on the filmstrike channel and i'll be watching them that way but uh this has tempted me many times throughout the year and i, I think that counts for something
2: it, it does that kind of reminds me of six moral tales younger brother or something like that you know it's kind of got that same elegant clean lines that the kind of white um, nice photography and all that so yeah it's it's a beautiful beautiful object to hold
1: oh yeah I, and i mean this was almost my choice like i just it it'll show up in my spoiler alert it'll show up in my favorite uh, favorite uh, releases and i'll talk about it more then but the packaging is really great yeah
0: yeah i agree i didn't know anything about those movies until um, i watched them and kind of like we were talking about with the covers the packaging all of a sudden started to just kind of work really well for me mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. there's a feel that it's some kind of memento from the past Um, in the packaging and and those films are you know some of them have a a little bit to do about collecting mementos and and these times from uh, from these trips and and travels that we go on so yeah great choice and uh, I, I, I appreciate that you picked something that you you know had the courage to pick something you haven't even held yet (laughs)
5: I <laughs> well, I have picked up a few times in the store. Maybe that counts there for you a go. little bit. That does. Okay. That, so you've held it.
0: You've been able to hold it like a baby, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So that's our favorite packaging, our favorite cover art. Um, and I think we're ready to move on to my personal favorite part of the show, though I've really enjoyed all of this tonight, is... Um, our favorite three Criterion releases from 2016. Um, we'll be doing this kind of in a countdown fashion. We'll each share our number three, two, and then one, um, uh, you know as as we've done in the, in past years. So, uh, what I would like to to do though, you can feel free to tell us when, before or when you're telling us your number three, kind of how you defined favorite. You know, what does favorite mean to you when you're selecting these? Because, I, you know, we've talked about the riches of this year and Keith's talked about the pain of trying to figure out what is a favorite today might not be the quite in the same spot tomorrow. Um, so I'm just curious, uh, to the extent you want to share, you don't have to. You can just spill spill your, your number three if you want. But if there's anything that you thought of or had to contemplate as you made your list, uh, feel free to share that Um so I guess with that in mind, Arik, you can uh, you can go first. Let us let us know what your number three is and anything you'd like to share about how you made your list.
1: Yeah. Uh, so my number three is the film Fantastic Planet. Um, the way that I made my list was to go through my uh, Cinema Gadfly blog, uh, look at the films that I'd written about from uh, 2016 see which ones I'd most enjoyed and then gut choices from there. Um, As you'll see when we get to number one, enjoyed is not the right word. But um, uh, so this is a film that just took me completely by surprise. Um, I wasn't really expecting much. And I do find that that's often the case for me, that I have my best uh, film moments when I don't know that much and I, I don't, have expectations in any real particular direction uh sometimes you know it's great to watch the film that you know you're gonna love and then you do love it uh that's that's fun but when you it's a film that you don't have any real thoughts on one way or the other you pop it in you sit down and 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 you're just like wait what what is this right and so um that was my experience with 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 this film uh i it it spoke to me you know uh, as i said when i wrote about it the 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 thing about allegory is that it's a very it can be very hit or miss right your mood or who you are or when you see it or how you see it or what you're thinking about can completely change how you how you take a a film and and in and, and that was certainly the case here but I think I was just you know I was in the right place I was in the right mood and and I just was blown away by by what the film was was attempting to accomplish and and that it did it in as short a running time as it did. It's a pretty short film. It's like seventy two minutes long, and I, I'm I think most people who've listened to any of the past episodes know that I am a big believer in the short film movement. And so I'm I'm I was very happy that it, you know I saw this. But the 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 world building, the the immense amount of 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 attention to detail and the amount of world building that, that the film manages to do in such a short running time is just absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal to me on top of all the cool trippy art and and music and stuff like that. This was just, um, I'm so happy that I got to, uh, to experience this film.
0: Yeah, I hadn't seen it before this year, um, either, and was excited to see it, but my kids wanted to watch it. One of them got it for me for my birthday and I thought, well, I better preview this first. And so when I was watching it, my wife was out having a meeting with a bunch of other women um from from the neighborhood and here's all this jazzy score here's this uh <laughs> which is an e- excellent score yeah here's all this uh, these crazy sound effects i can't imagine what they must have been thinking but my kids kept wandering in and i'd let them watch it for a few minutes and then i'd see something and think well guys come come back in a little <laughs> bit because it you know it's 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 wonderfully animated it is something i want to show them but you're, you know, there's there's a lot going on and it's, it's, it can be very disturbing. And some of those images, I, you know, part of me kind of hopes they are thinking about them when they're, you know, in bed at night. <laughs> you know, getting some <laughs> yeah. of those fun experiences of something that's haunting you and you don't quite know why. And the other part of me is like, oh dear, I shouldn't have ever um, had them in the room when I was watching that part. <laughs> but yeah, great, great pick. Uh, anyone else have anything you want to say on, on Fantastic Planet? arc's pick.
2: I just watched it uh, uh, like last week and and really loved it. I, I saw it as a sort of a pre-adolescent back in its original run at a the drive-in theater in the early oh, nineteen seventies. Was pretty blown away by it, but I, a lot of it was just kind of over my head or just kind of bonkers, yeah. bizarro at it. But I've just loved it since then, and it was. Yeah, that's another kind of nice, um, positive development. Uh, I mean, I can sort of, I can see sort of in hindsight how it fits with Criterion, kind of a French uh, art house, a French uh, Czech uh, art house uh, animation fantasy thing, but it's it wasn't anything I would have ever predicted, but it's a pretty cool addition to the collection.
3: It is. You know, there's there's that certain age that you are that there's maybe not so fine a line
0: between allegory and just boobies. <laughs> 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 well, and I'm glad you picked it to Arik, because... You know, Ryan's always been such a champion of the animated films mm-hmm. that have come into the collection. I wonder if it would have been on, on his list or even topping his list this year. But um, you know, I, I'm glad that I'm glad that it came up because it it's a nice a nice thing that they're they're keeping some of that going and giving us these treats that way. Um, all right, let's move on to David. What's your your third favorite release of the year? And um, you know, you can preface that with any anything. You yeah, know.
2: sure. Yeah, well, you know, again, uh, I'm not a real big believer in in rankings, but I kind of went with uh, what was kind of my favorite sort of fun discovery, what was my kind of the most heroic thing that Criterion did in terms of uh, kind of rescuing a film, if you will, and then what film kind of left the strongest lingering impact in my memories just in terms of the viewing experience and all of that. So uh, I'll go in that order. So my number three was kind of a tie uh, between uh, Death by Hanging, which was my original number three when I just sort of made my list off the cuff. Uh, But I decided to replace it partly because I already talked about that film quite a bit. And I think it was the first uh, episode of our, you know, fairly short-lived Criterion Cast Chronicles, which was... A really fun process and great experience of kind of trying to watch everything we could in a given month and then getting together and talking about it. But it is a very time consuming, very demanding, uh, you know, and somewhat burdensome process to not just watch everything, but to be kind of podcast ready to to watch it with that level of attention to detail. Over the course of months, so we we kind of drew that little project uh, experiment to a close. But I did talk about Death by Hanging, and and that movie was really, you know, another kind of dark, brutally hilarious, uh, uh, somewhat surreal and bizarre kind of take on the death penalty and the executioner is what I'm going to choose as my number three at this point Uh, fairly recent discovery I think it was just released back in November maybe October I can't remember now but um, you know with uh, our earlier mention of Luis Garcia Berlanga and the uh, Peter Becker you know pretty broad hint at an Eclipse series set of his films this is Berlanga's uh, introduction to the Criterion Collection and probably introduction to uh, the majority of us who maybe have never heard of this guy but I was just absolutely delighted with this film it's uh, wickedly funny it's, it's about a, uh, a young man who's basically just kind of a prison guard, a pallbearer he kind of hauls out the caskets uh, after a prisoner's been executed and of course this is all in the context of uh, Franco's regime pretty hardcore right-wing uh you know kind of a fascistic state and uh, berlanga was making these satirical films within that context and i'm sure pressing the limits and i'm just so you know zealous to see more of his stuff and there's a lot of it on filmstruck right now but nothing quite like an eclipse series to kind of com- compel my viewing right so uh the executioner <laughs> was really just a really uh, it kind of reminded me of Il Sorpasso a few years ago that we talked about in one of our main episodes. Where it's like, where's this coming from? And once you get into it, it just kind of blows you away with just, wow, this is a great movie that I'd never heard anything about. A director who's maybe not going to go down in the annals as one of the, you know, all time greats. Uh, but it, but 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 Berlanga certainly has some parallels to uh, some of Bunwell's uh, kind of s- style of humor. And, and the story basically is about this guy who gets kind of drawn into being, becoming an executioner because he's gotten involved with the daughter of this, uh, of this kind of gnomish old man. And his job is he's the executioner. He he puts uh, condemned prisoners to death, and uh, and this young guy is kind of drawn into the family trade, so to speak, of much against his will. But there's all these pressures and obligations that push him quite reluctantly into this new vocation and uh yeah it's just you know probably the less said about it the better except i really recommend it if you haven't gotten around to it yet it's i i just found it very very engaging uh just a real fresh uh a fresh take on on, on filmmaking and uh kind of a new voice that i'm like i say eager to get more acquainted with
3: has anybody else seen it i completely agree with that yeah i yeah. completely agree with that i you know, completely unknown to me, you know, very eye-catching cover. Um, And then I sat down to watch it, and I was just beside myself with giddiness throughout the whole thing on just how much fun it was, how funny it was. Um, Of course, dark at many points. But uh, just, to me, amazing, just an amazing piece of, and I don't want to denigrate it this way, but an amazing piece of pop, Filmmaking for the period, with many many uh, you know deeper points to it, and I think they even mentioned it in some of the special features that it is kind of amazing how much stuff he was able to get away with that that you know Franco didn't didn't shut it down. Yeah,
2: yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I, I'm excited that there's a, a promise of a, a future Eclipse set because I had a similar experience with this one. I, I didn't really have great expectations necessarily because, you know, there were some people on the Criterion forum saying that it wasn't any good, but boy, I I loved it. I thought it was great. So I was glad you chose it. Did did you purposefully like when you put death by mm-hmm. hanging, did you think no? I'll go with the other death penalty dark comedy. Well, hey, they do kind of
2: make an interesting pair, if you will. Um, they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean,
0: I thought that's what you were going to do, is kind of pair them up well, that way. And then when you said you you decided to change it, I thought, oh, oh. well. I mean, yeah. I
2: guess there is. The, yeah, you know, I'm pretty aware of the of the connection there. Um, but yeah, I'll just go with the executioner as my number three. I think death by hanging cut co- kind of covers a lot of the same territory but from a Japanese perspective and of course I have a lot of fond memories because we were kind of in the middle of our Oshima uh, episodes you know and 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 kind of those discussions which was a a real fun time on the Eclipse Viewer and we kind of threw Death by Hanging in the midst there as we were kind of covering films that he had made both before and and after and so uh, yeah that was kind of a highlight of the year for me which is where kind of the death by hanging ranks up there but uh yeah I'll, I'll give the the nod to the executioner just for that kind of you know
3: not a lot of belly laughs in that one.
2: Oh, in death by hanging well <laughs> yeah no it's it's not belly laughs but it's just so sinister and so twisted yeah <laughs>
3: oh
2: yeah oh yes yes yeah, no, th- this film, I think, has more in the sheer entertainment value, if you will, just because it's a little yep. bit friskier, a little bit livelier, a little bit more of a, you know, a little bit of a body sex romp thing going on from time to time. And, you know, the American tourists and just, you know, the scenery that's kind of on this, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, the uh, the Spanish coast and, and uh, the tourism and all the kind of local, you know, the local flavor there.
0: Well, and just the main character's anxiety—that was played out yeah. so nice throughout. Yes. I loved it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. All right, let's move on to to Keith. Uh, uh, go ahead and tell us your number three, and preface it any way you'd like.
3: Sure. Well, I'm uh, I'm the same way as uh, some as what David said. I mean, if we were just picking, you know, favorite criterion films of the year, you know, that's that's. That only tells part of the story. To me, you know, the reason that I collect Criterion is because of the, you know, what the imprimatur brings to it. You know, the Criterion is telling a whole story. Criterion is reassessing film. Criterion is, is uh, you know, doing film restoration or working with people that do. So, you know, always when I'm picking favorite Criterions, it's I'm not necessarily picking my favorite films but as opposed to just my favorite Criterion packages, my favorite story that they told of the year. Um, That being said, I'm going to go right back to the well and tell you that my uh, third favorite Criterion films of the year are Valley of the Dolls and Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Um, You know, these are both movies that I have seen uh, at least a couple times each over the years, Um, But at that point, it was only because of their kitsch factor, or when I was younger, the fact that you could see some amazing naked women in the second one. And, you know, I didn't really know, you know, where these films were coming from. They were just loud and brash and crazy. And, 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 you know, in some ways, quite dumb. But... To finally, after all these years, um, you know, f- see the full story of them, to see how Criterion has said, you know, here's here's how this all came about, you know, hearing really a lot more about the Jacqueline Suzanne side of it. You know, all information that I could have went and looked up if I cared. I didn't care that much, but to see it all put together in a package like this really, um, you know, elevates the films i'm I'm not going to sit here and make a a a strong argument for how good or not the films are but as a criterion package they're amazing um you know it's interesting to me that they didn't put these into a box set um but as i thought about it more i'm kind of glad that they didn't um i think i think that Valley of the Dolls stands alone as, you know, this movie tells you not the movie, but the package and everything tells a story of what this is all about. I don't think that you can necessarily get that same flavor if you just watch Beyond the Valley of the Dolls without knowing the history that came before it. I mean, obviously they're basically only uh they're only tied together somewhat by the name and somewhat of the just the general um, excess atmosphere that they both bring to their stories. But, um, you know, this This to me, I, I know this. these films are in, in some ways other people's Armageddon within the collection. Why did they put this shit in the collection? And, you know, I, I can see that and I can somewhat agree with it. Um, but I think Criterion knew that in order to elevate these to whatever they feel their pantheon is um for you know criteria to get into criterion um they knew that they had to do kind of a, a maybe not a hard sell but a, a full sell on making the point or making the uh making that to for these and i think that they succeeded quite well um the movies to me are 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 fine trash they're but just a hell of a lot of fun, and the special features um, really tell that story, and that's why. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, my w- when I saw your choice here, I was going to say, Keith, you're the guy who called Dress to Kill and um, uh, Every Man for Himself garbage last year. How are you defending it? Th- these choices? And I'll just tell you, you defended it very well um and, and plus i can't even i can't even argue against it cuz i haven't seen them yet so but you're making me excited to to see the story there and to to get a chance to understand them a little bit better so i must
3: have been in a really bad mood last year keep your powder
0: dry Trevor. <laughs> yeah. yeah there you go i was getting ready to fire and uh, you know you just you just uh, it worked for me. <laughs> now, David, I don't have duels with everybody. <laughs> so, uh, all right. A- anyone else have anything you want to add to to those two releases or to the discussion of them? Oh, come on come on well
2: uh, you know i have a whole <laughs> podcast episode i'll get into it but i'm going to save it for then so yeah they're very right, defensible okay. choices keith I'm, I'm with you on there uh,
3: all right thank you good
2: deal
0: okay I'll, I, I, like i said when we talked about the packaging i will rectify the fact that i do not have them soon um all right <laughs> scott what is your number three choice and any any words you want to share about how you came to your your choices
5: Yeah, I mean, I hate to be so esoteric about it, but it kind of just comes down to a general sensation each release gives to me, uh, and that can come about in any myriad of ways. Uh, For example, with this first choice, I picked a film that is low on supplements and low on general outward presentation, I guess, although the transfer is quite gorgeous, which uh, it may have sounded earlier like I kind of denigrated the René releases for the same, but I think in the case of Paris Belongs to Us, my number three choice, that The transfer is so exceptionally good and the film was previously so exceptionally rare that uh, any lacking in the supplements or the cover art, it just doesn't hold as much water with me. I think the supplements we get are quite good. The interview with uh, Richard Newport uh, is excellent and as is the inclusion of Djokovic's 1956 short film and the essay by Luc Sante all kind of help to illuminate this – rather mysterious and odd film that was made in the 50s, sort of before the French New Wave kicked off and couldn't get released until it had that kind of commercial banner under which it could flourish in its very, very limited capacity. Um, But this is the beginning of a very fascinating filmography by a director I obviously love. We've devoted a lot of time on various aspects of this podcast to talking about his work. Um, And this, I think while not as fully developed maybe as Outland or uh, Duell or any of the rest, um, I I think it's a a remarkable starting place by any any definition one would choose. Uh, It's, you know, about this this group of actors who kind of stumble into a sort of conspiracy and sort of half try to solve it, half don't, um, but it really... As much as that would be later the plot of Out 1, this is very much a 1950s film and very much infused with a different sense of paranoia and conspiracy than that which would dominate the 70s. Um, the mode here, you know, there's a lot of people in suits and the conspiracies they're worried about are, I think, more... I don't know, I, I guess more societal, more maybe more governmental, less kind of independently wrought. There's a greater sense... Uh, That the world is kind of closing in around them in the 1950s, whereas by the 1970s it felt like I guess maybe the world was outwardly attacking them. Um, So it's a very interesting film that I think Criterion really took their time to get to in terms of releasing, but I think was well worth the wait, even in spite of the lack of supplements. Like I said, the transfer alone makes this to me a, a really exceptional release in addition to this film being quite good.
0: Yeah, um, I'm glad you listened to this one. very much agree. Yeah, the, you know, I don't know if any of you have ever read anything by uh, the uh, Spanish author Roberto Bola, uh, Bolaño, but he, he's got this kind of tone, this feeling of mystery, of paranoia around the corner, plots that never quite congeal into anything, vague threats that never quite come to anything either, and you just kind of wonder what it's all about, and a lot of people hate it, but there's something beautiful about a work of art that the the unknowing, the the threat is the purpose of it. It doesn't have to come to any kind of narrative resolution. And I'd never seen a movie that made me feel the same way a Bologna book does until I watched Paris Belongs to us. And it's so good at at creating that vague sense of someone knows something that i don't know and it's bad (laughs) for me and i don't (laughs) even you know i'm in a kind of act on it but nothing that i do quite makes sense and i keep finding myself in situations that don't make sense it it did such a great job with that and i um i was thrilled to to finally get a chance to see what people are are uh, excited about when rivet joined the collection
5: now i want to check out this author
0: well, let, we'll we'll carry that conversation offline then, Scott. I got some good recommendations <laughs> good. Mm-hmm. for you. <laughs> all right, all right, um, all right. So my my number three, and I guess my um, my preface is that you know, as I came up with these releases, I or my favorite releases, I tried to think of which ones became like an indelible part of my life in 2016. You know, which ones stood out, sometimes because just the film, you know, not because of any supplements that were special, not because of the packaging, but the film alone was something that really just jumped at me. And sometimes it's because the whole Criterion package is just such, you know, makes such an impact on me. Um, they just stick with me and shift me a bit. And I, I had the, the, the great opportunity um, of seeing most of the releases this year. And my number three is a film that, like Arik was saying, I had no expectations for. I, I didn't I didn't think it would be anything super special, though. I've always been proven wrong in the past with Criterion releases. I don't know why I keep going into them like this, but I but I do. You know, some <laughs> of them I just think aren't going to do as much for me as others, and that's what I thought with this one. But boy, I I loved it. I I was I was drawn in immediately and just captivated until the end. And the the film is. Um, Antonio Pietrangeli's I Knew Her Well, um, another release that came earlier in the year. Uh, You know, I I wasn't even particularly looking forward to it, even though I'd heard good things about it. I guess I just wasn't trusting them. I don't know. Um, But it really didn't take long before I was completely on board. Um, Stefania Sandrelli plays uh, kind of a, a liberated young woman in... In urban Italy, in the, the in the nineteen sixties, um, you know, there's a little bit of material good that she has, either because she gets them from suitors or because of jobs as model, as a model or potential actress or something like that. You know, she looks like she might have the great life. And she is so captivating. Um, she she just from from the beginning to the end, she's got this face that all, you always know that something's going on underneath it. Um, it just captures so much, and we we follow her around through this period of her life that the the transitions are almost non-existent. You know, you'll see her here at this point in her life with this with this particular boyfriend and then in the next scene she has a different hairdo hair length and she's with another guy and then the next scene she's doing something else uh different jobs different um different aspects of what again might for a lot of people look like uh quite an appealing arrangement but you know there especially for a girl that's come coming from relative poverty and uh, humble origins outside of the big city but you know despite the parties and this seemingly liberated Uh, drives down Rome staircases, things like that, that are a lot of fun. Great, great set pieces, great scenes. Um, Her access to the, to the stars and producers of the film world. Uh, We just, we know throughout that something isn't right. You know, she, she isn't as vacuous as these people who are using her would like to think she is. And you know, Cendrelli, uh, she bears all the attention of the camera taking us through this whole picture that doesn't necessarily have a, a plot that is 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 conventional. You know, um, she bears that attention and that lack of outside structure perfectly. Um, I was just I, I was dumbfounded by the film, um, loved it from beginning to end. Um, it looks beautiful on Blu-ray. It's one of the ones that, again, just stood out to me as just looking exceptional in black and white on my on my TV. It it was it was so much fun, so touching, and it's just stuck with me um, uh, a lot through the year. So uh, that's my number three favorite film or favorite release rather of the year. Um, Good choice. Are we ready to move on to number two, Arik. Let's hear your number two.
1: So, uh, I, in the spirit of admitting things, I will admit that uh, I have only seen one of the films in the box that I'm about to mention, and that alone was enough to make it my second favorite uh, release of the year. Sometimes you just find a director, and this has happened to me quite a few times with the collection, obviously, where you just, you just, they just speak to you. And every film, you're like, oh, man, how did I not know this existed? And uh, I I think uh, Scott and I both share a love for this particular director's work. But for me, it's the uh, Road Trilogy, the Vim Vendors set. I have only watched the first movie, Alice in the Cities, and it doesn't matter. I love it so much. His work, everything I've seen of his up till now, and especially this film, just... I just love them. I am so happy that we're getting so much of his work. Uh partially uh in this particular case there was a special element for me because uh, my girlfriend is from that part of Germany and Wuppertal where the uh, vendors is from and where the film largely takes place is uh, very near where she's from. I've I've been there. I've ridden on the Schwebebahn. I've gone around those places and and it, so it's like oh man, you know, seeing that in the in the 70s and and all this stuff is really cool but that film, just everything about it from the, the disaffected nature of the reporter to the his relationship with the, the, the child to the fact that the film's really about her, everything about it just made me so happy. And I, I can't wait to watch the next two, but I don't even have to to know how much I love that I have this set in my house. So for me, number two, Vim Vendors, The Road Trilogy.
0: Yeah, excellent choice. I hope you like the other ones as much. It'll be... Uh, one of your favorite sets it sounds like of, of all time <laughs> i think so i think so <laughs> yeah that that's one th- of the Go ahead. no go ahead keith i was gonna say one of the the
3: uh pleasures that i didn't get to when, earlier when we were talking is just the fact that you know we seem to be guaranteed and already have gotten quite a bit of MIM vendors and uh Definitely a, a high point of the of the year was this box set. Um just I concur with what Arik is saying on, on that first film. It's just it's a, every second of it is a pleasure.
0: Yeah, that's that was my favorite of the box set. Um it, it is a special one. I also loved I mean, we got that not too long after we got the American Friend, um, the other mm-hmm. vendors film of the year. And I loved that one too. Have you had a chance to see that one? Get that one under your belt, Arik.
1: No, I own it. haven't watched it yet. I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I'm actually sort of spacing myself out on them. I don't want to binge through his work. Uh, mm-hmm. So I watched uh, oh, uh, the, the most recent, yeah. exactly. I watched Wings <laughs> of Desire and just absolutely loved it. I, you know, watched Pina, absolutely loved it. I, I haven't seen a film of, him, of his I haven't liked, but the most recent one was yeah, Alice in the Cities. But I, I cannot wait to watch all of, all of it. Excellent.
3: One, one thing that Criterion is teaching me is that Tom Ripley movies are a hell of a lot better when they're, when they're foreign. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. We have two of them now, yeah.
0: Oh, man. I, I I wanted to find space for the American friend on my list, but I couldn't do it. I, I did love that. It was another pleasant surprise yes. of the year for me. But I'm glad you brought up Vendors with the the Road Trilogy, too. I think, you know, box sets are always special and... and um, i'm glad that they they always find a few of them find a place on these end of year lists because i think sometimes we might think oh that's just a special release as is we'll go with something else but certainly they deserve some celebration um all right well david let's go on to your number two favorite release of the year
2: Okay, my number two is one that I also talked about a bit on the uh, Criterion Cast Chronicles, but it's uh, Chimes at Midnight, and this kind of goes into my uh, kind of most heroic release, just because this is a film that, uh, yeah, I had not seen before this release, but I had certainly heard the legends and and recognized, uh, you know, how close to maybe even permanent oblivion, or at least not being lost altogether, but just you know never having a a worthy uh, transfer and just, the you know, the, the care and restoration it deserved. But, uh, you know, sort of like the Apu trilogy in years past or the uh, Rossellini-Bergman set uh, or the Rossellini War trilogy, for that matter, it's just one of those uh, efforts that Criterion uh, kind of took on uh, sensing maybe the historic significance as well as just the you know, artistic uh, superiority of of the film itself. And, of course, Chimes at Midnight is uh, pretty much uh, Orson Welles' late career masterpiece. Uh, I mean, F for Fake is also there kind of in his latter years. But I think Chimes at Midnight just really showed that, uh, you know, despite all the uh, travails and and, uh, turbulence of his career, he still had an incredible knack for... You know, making exceptionally powerful films. Uh, this is, of course, a kind of an adaptation of several different Shakespeare plays, focusing on the character of Falstaff. But really, it's it's just the 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 bravura performances. Uh, the, the the disc as a whole kind of tells the story of the making of the film and just what a you know kind of what a scrappy effort he put into it to just you know cobble his resources and. And, and make this really impressive, amazing, highly entertaining, highly rewatchable uh, film that uh, I've watched several times since we since it came out this past summer and uh, shown it to a couple friends. And, yeah, it's just it's just a source of uh, many, many delights. So I know, Scott, you've got it as your number two. So I don't want to you know take all the thunder there. Uh, maybe I can let you jump in and, and comment a little bit about it as well.
5: Yeah, for sure. Um I mean this was I covered this in the Chronicles episode we did for that month and I think most of what I want to say about the film was covered there uh and I've forgotten most of what I said. So I would encourage <laughs> listeners to go back and listen to that. But uh but this is a film that I first saw in Boston at the Harvard Film Archive many years ago and just you know, my Shakespeare is rusty on a good day, but as I think I've mentioned before, the soundtrack for this film is kind of famously uh, rough and tumble in the 35 millimeter prints. And so when you got Shakespeare combined with the, you know, kind of cacophonous auditorium combined with dialogue and audio tracks that have not survived well, I, I did not understand a word of what was going on, but there is still something kind of elemental and thrilling about this film. And it's been interesting to revisit in various forms of the years, uh, once again in on film and then, as When it toured digitally, I saw it again, and then finally again on Blu-ray. And I think finally now I, I get what's going on in the film. I, I finally kind of wrapped my head a bit around it, uh, and I, I love it all the more. I think this is really maybe possibly Wells' best film, but if not, then it's just simply tied for number one with his other mini masterpieces. Um, but Criterion did a, an astounding job bringing this to Blu-ray. I was a little worried going in uh, because... The DCP that Janice released, I think, was lacking in some ways, but they did continue to clean it up for Blu-ray. And uh, it's a really exceptionally well-done transfer. And all the supplements they gathered, I haven't even gone through everything, but the commentary is really well done. All the interviews with the actors and uh, Beatrice Wells are helpful and illuminating. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's just exactly what I look for in a Criterion release. You know, you get a film that hasn't even been on disc before, never mind, you know, some of their final releases are just for films that have been treated poorly on disc. This one just has never gotten there. Uh, so you get that kind of rescuing aspect that David mentioned and then such a fine transfer and such fine supplements. It really kind of sums up the collection in many ways. And like I said, it's just a great film besides all that. Um, I can't wait to continue to revisit it over the years.
1: I'm surprised they didn't subtitle it when you saw it all the way back then.
5: Uh, I, I hate subtitling for English-language films, so all the That's better. That's only
3: the only way I can watch Shakespeare is was is listen and, and read the subtitles. But I I spent all day New Year's Day with this disc. And, oh, awesome! Uh, and on any, you know, it just so happens that it didn't make my top three for this for this program. But you know, it could have fit any of these slots for me. It's just to me an amazing piece of work. And for some reason in my head, I've always conflated Keith back to you know, not having seen it, but have read a lot about Wells. Um, I've always kind of conflated Keith Baxter with who was the guy that, that started with Wells and Mr. Arcotton. was that Robert Aldridge or something like that, who I think was completely acted out of the water. And for some reason, I always had it in my head that, that Wells and Keith Baxter, it was the same type of situation. So when I watched the film and I watched it twice, um, you know, I was really amazed at how good he was, and how you know he was a perfect foil for for Falstaff and and you know Robert or uh, Orson Welles. Um, I just thought, it, you know, it, it's you talk about it being heroic. I mean, I've I've heard over the years on how hard or how bad the soundtrack was, and it certainly does have a bit of a you know. Uh, Uh, early 60s uh italian vibe to it when that soundtrack just didn't quite sound right because it was all uh you know done later but just from from what they've had to what i assume they had to start with was just amazing and i I did want to say that another thing that i've read over the years a lot on criterion form and other places it seems like there's a lot of ill will out there towards Beatrice Wells, and I've certainly read a lot of ad hominem attacks on her and everything, and I don't know what's true and what isn't, but listening to her story on this disc, um, you know, I, I found her very charming and very interesting to listen to, and, I, you know, she's certainly got stories to tell that you aren't going to hear from anybody else.
5: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the frustration with her is just the various ways in which she stalls or prevents his films right, from right. getting to the general public. Um, and I'm sure she has her reasons, but that does tend to be the central problem. But as with, I think, most people in life, you know, when you sit them down and start to hear their stories, you realize that they have other dimensions. And I think that interview is valuable for that reason. Perfectly said, yes.
0: Yeah, great choices. I'm glad we were able to spend a lot of time on that. You know, I, I was a little wary about this when I was excited when it was released because I'd heard good things, but I don't really like Well's version of Othello, and I was worried that I might not like um, this particular Shakespearean effort. Um, but I liked it so much, I, I I have to go back and watch Othello again just to see if I missed something. I, I remember it had great images, and maybe it was just a bad transfer or a bad day or something didn't quite gel, but I, I didn't like it. But this definitely made me go... All right, he knew what he was doing, obviously, <laughs> so so let's uh <laughs> I need to give that uh, Wells Othello a chance. hopefully we'll be able to do that sometime soon with the criterion release, but um uh yep. we'll we shall see um all right, uh Keith, do you want to give us your number two?
3: All right, uh this is another movie that may suffer just from the recency of watching it, if that's a word. Um, but I have to say that the other movie that I spent a lot of, uh, New Year's, New Year's, uh, weekend with is my number two pick. And that is, uh, One-Eyed Jacks by Marlon Brando. Um, going back to the story that a Criterion Disc tells and my, you know, whether it, uh, fits or, or doesn't fit my expectations, um, The reason I picked this, and I tweeted this when I was watching it a few days ago, um, I'm one of these gut reaction people, you know, that says things like, uh, Dressed to kill is garbage. But (laughs) uh, um, my entire life, for whatever reason, I just decided that I don't like Westerns. And I've always been that way. I was probably watching the wrong ones, Um, you know, up until Criterion started releasing some of these Westerns. I would have said that my top five Westerns were the last five times I saw High Plains Drifter. And, you know, but what we've had with uh, uh, My Darling Clementine and uh, Red River and Stagecoach and those, obviously cream of the crop, but they've really helped me turn my my jaundiced opinion towards the genre and um, be much more accepting of it and realizing that, um, you know, uh, story type is not always necessarily going to, you know, make a movie good or bad. Obviously, I know that. But, but getting back to One Eye Jacks, um, up until this was announced, and I know that you know, in our Criterion circles, we started talking about this a couple years ago when we weren't sure if that New Year's clue was for One Eye Jacks. We all figured it turned out to be Jellyfish Eyes. Um, but it's always been kind of on my radar since then. And then when it was announced, uh, I was very intrigued. Um, but again, going back to my lack of enthusiasm for Westerns, to me, One-Eyed Jacks, I always conflated it in my mind with the Missouri Breaks, basically because they were both you know, Marlon Brando Westerns I'd never seen. Um, so going into the film, I, that's the only thing that I had in my head, and and Trevor, you mentioned this earlier about how beautiful the transfer is. That's what grabbed me right away. I just couldn't believe it. Um, but then just to get into the film, and although it came out in 61, it certainly has a, you know, a nineteen fifties western feel and look to it. And to be just kind of awestruck how quickly and how often Uh, Brando and his numerous um, screenwriting, you know, help (laughs) helpers, um, how they just subverted so much of the of the Western tale. I mean, I think probably one of the things that I've always hated about or thought I hated about Westerns was the uh, the good guy versus the bad guy, the white hat versus the black hat. And in this movie, I mean, everybody wears gray hats. Well, especially, you know, the two main characters with uh, Marlon Brando and Carl um, Malden. So, you know, a movie that has time to have somebody be sort of good and sort of bad, a movie that has time to to just luxuriate in the surroundings and luxuriate in the different people and, you know, even to see to see Ben Johnson who to me i don't know a lot about of course last picture show or mighty joe young uh maybe the evening star would be the three movies that i could think of him being in other than this but to see how he could be so charming and such an asshole at the same time um you know it, it's a movie that allows both sides of so many of the characters to come to come out and i was so impressed with you know, there are so many horror stories about what Brando did do or couldn't do or, or wasn't capable of doing or didn't give a, who didn't give a shit about doing, you know, and to see even with this even with this being recut by the studio, it still completely feels like a Marlon Brando movie, whatever that might be. I mean, it's the only one he ever directed, but that's what it feels like to me. Um it just Got me from the first second and it got me all the way through um you know the, the one thing that I'll point out that I just thought was subtle and brilliant at the same time that I wouldn't expect to see in a in a standard you know uh horse opera would be the fact that you know as as Brando is riding back to the ranch and the and his partner i'm sorry I forget his name the the Mexican who had been shot. You know, his. You know they take time to show that Brando goes by him completely oblivious to the fact that he's still alive but kind of hiding or hidden over the ledge. To me, that was just an air of darkness that I wouldn't expect to see in a movie of that genre of that time. So it just really, really hit me strongly. The other thing I wanted to mention is just from the Criterion Package standpoint, one of the things that I really, really love that Criterion doesn't do very often, and I think only did three times this year, is a bona fide video essay. I know Kim Morgan did one, a very personal one for Valley of the Dolls, but the one I Jack's disc has two of them. You know, one on the one on the. Uh, oh, what was it again? It was. Uh, well, I can't remember. But anyway, I mean, they have the one on the uh, his Brando's subversion of the genre, and one just on the, um, you know, the nuts and bolts of how the movie was made. Um, to me, before Criterion, before home video, I mean, I, I was one of these people that read and read and read about so many movies, I felt that, like I knew movies inside and out that I had never seen. And I still kind of do that. And to me, these video essays are kind of like the best of both worlds for that. You're getting this this viewpoint of the film with a lot of uh, visual footage to look at. And the fact that they had two of those on this disc that were so informative and so much fun to watch. I mean, that's all of that just, you know, f- at least for the time being, elevated that to, to number two for me.
0: Yeah, uh, Excellent choice um, that I'll endorse again. I just watched this one too. I think it was last Sunday. Um, was that New Year's Day? Yeah, so New yeah. Year's Day as well. Um, my family had gone to church and I wasn't feeling well, so I stayed home and, and put in this movie. And boy, it I, the, just the scenery. I mean, I agree with everything you said about the story and how, how much detail is in there that gives you the richness of these characters. Um, Marlon Brando's character is a hero, but man, he's, he's awful. Yeah, yeah. i, I he, he's just an awful person, um, to women. I mean, he takes advantage of them, not in kind of a roguish way, but in a really sleazy way. And yet he's the hero and Carl Malden's character. You totally get where he's coming from with a lot of his villainy, mm-hmm. but he's still the villain. I mean, I, I, I loved it, but but what really got me was just that gorgeous scenery. I mean, from the beginning of the film where they're up on that sand dune and the wind starts to blow. It's not even a sand dune. It's like just a mountain that's dusty. Yeah. Um, that is just, th- There are so many things here where you just think, you know, you were just in the right place at the right time. You really couldn't have planned these shots to be this stunning. Um, but then with the video essays, you learn that he he just waited to be at the right place at the right time, like with the waves when they're traveling right, back and forth right. to Monterey. You know, he just said, well, we're not shooting until the waves look the way I want them to. And boy, are they beautiful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was it's phenomenal. I, I really thought the film was just kind of famous because it was Marlon Brando's sole directing credit. But I was I was really impressed as well. I was thrilled to to get to it.
3: And this I, this must speak to Brando's acting ability or just the the overall, you know, feeling of the film. I've seen a lot of people fake whipped on, on, on the screen in films and <laughs> TV and everything, but this is the first time that I, actually, that I actually physically felt like Marlon Brando was being whipped and was truly suffering from that. I mean, the, the, the looks on his face and the shaking that he did was, to me, was just
0: incredible. Mm-hmm. He lets the vulnerability come out there, and when his hand gets yeah. crushed, and I mean, he, yeah, it's it's. And knowing Brando, you almost wonder did did he tell him to really whip him? Exactly. <laughs> you know, did he exactly. take a few that real that... ones? Just, uh, <laughs> yeah. Method yeah. acting, man. <laughs> 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 All right. Uh, anyone have anything else to say about One Eye Jacks? If you've gotten a chance to see it, or if Keith and I have, you know, particularly Keith has has talked you into it
2: yeah i watched i had a a younger guy over a friend that i knew probably roughly half my age um who came over and he had the whole vast library library of criterions to choose from and he said let's watch when i jack so i said okay let's go ahead and pick it out so uh you know he was he was pretty blown away i mean this is absolutely a showcase for brando i mean what a what an incredibly compelling magnetic screen presence he has here as he often did in so many films but this really is a showcase for him i also have to give a shout out to timothy carey one of my favorite uh, bit actors of that era just a real wild man i watched him recently in the in a small role in the monkey's head and of course he's a pretty memorable contributor to uh kubrick's paths of glory so it's kind of like yeah he's kind of one of my little you know, seek him out, uh, cult figures. I want to see more of his stuff because it just seemed like he he had that reputation, that willingness just to go for broke. Whatever whatever uh, role the studios threw his way, uh, you could, you know, he got his money's worth out of it.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, and we got our second Slim Pickens film oh, in the right. collection. Yeah, Two in yeah. one year. Yes, um, he yes. is fantastic in this. He's such a... Oh. Slime ball. <laughs> Yes, yeah. but you kind of I don't know he, he looked so familiar you know yeah. the slime ball I the slime ball I know and uh, <laughs> you know, excellent stuff. Um, all right all right so uh, we, we did Scott's number two with chimes at midnight so I'll move on to mine. Um, this you know I, I wasn't I didn't want to pick a box set just because it's a box set and those are fantastic releases. Um, I wanted it not to be so much about the monumental release as much as the personal favorites. Um, but a box set, set still came in, in here, um, which is the Krzysztof Kieslowski's Decalogue. Um, I had never seen these before they were released. There was always kind of the rumor that Criterion was working on them, might get to them soon. And so I never bothered to watch them in another you know, from another company or anything like that. Um, but over the years, through Criterion's releases again, I've come to really love Kislowski's work. You know I, I loved um, the double life of Veronique and we, we did a podcast episode on that a year or two ago uh, with uh, Scott and David. And that was just so much fun to talk about Kislowski's sensitivity to to being kind of a, a you know, a person, in a particular time and place, but with these strange sensitivities to other things, you know, not necessarily just like spiritual things, but just to, to the world and to connections or to be shut off from that, which is something I think he does quite well with the three colors trilogy at times. And so I I was um, curious if if the Decalogue would live up to its reputation for me, and and it really did. I, I loved it um, so much. Uh, I was glad each time an episode was over. I was glad that there were more until it was really over. Um, but now, you know, there's so much more to go back and and revisit. And they're they're short, uh, hour long pieces, so they're they're relatively easy just to sit down and and enjoy thoroughly. And you know, he still is able to get into that realm of. You know, here's this world inside of this Polish tenement building. Here are some of the residents um, and their lives with all their difficulties or little pleasures. Um, Sometimes they come into contact with each other and uh, more often than not, though, they're just taking up their own allotted uh, space and time in the movie. And the films are so humane, uh, so human as they explore so many of the mysteries around us, our, our, our fears, you know, these these existential fears that we might have, um, things that, that shape us that we don't even completely comprehend. And, you know, these struggles that we have as we're trying to comprehend what's all going on. Um, you know, his cinema is just able to convey things in images and with these soft touches that are so hard to articulate in words. I I you know I stumble every time I try to articulate why these films meant so much to me um but but they they just do and and I love sitting down with his work I'm so glad we got this finally um I know that there there's an arrow release this year from the UK and a lot of people are praising it and saying it it's better than the Criterion release I don't know I don't have it to compare it um I just have the Criterion release and it's it's fantastic uh, I certainly liked the films enough that I'm curious about the other stuff on the Arrow release. I'd like to to see it as well, but I wasn't left wanting and I wasn't left disappointed in in this release. I think it's packaged beautifully. That very simple cover design uh, with the four squares that kind of goes throughout the materials inside of the booklet. Um, you know, just one of those experiences. Again, um, when it came in the mail, I, I sat down and just over the next few weeks was just always enjoying what I was going through, always learning, always um, feeling like I was doing something great with my time and experiencing something special. So definitely a, a special release, um, could have been my number one probably, but I'll, I'll keep it here at number two. Um, and, and kudos to criterion for, for putting it out there, uh, in this year where, you know, I, th- I feel like we just got so many things we've been, we've been wanting and wondering if they would ever come. And, um, you know, they, they, they've, they've come through on all of that. So that's my number two.
5: Yeah. I'm glad you called this one out. If I had actually picked it up myself, it would have been on my list for sure. I watched all these when Janice toured them and was completely floored all the way through and just left, um, mouth agape and gasping and frequent parts and just very deeply moved by them it's an exceptional series of short films and uh yeah you paid tribute to them very well Well, and i
0: will say i I missed i wanted to sit down and watch him with you and david not not that i didn't want you and you know keith and Arik there too but just because of our podcast episode i just i i i wanted to to go through these with you guys because that that podcast was was a, a fun one for me and the the filmmate this experience going through these just kinda of brought a lot of that back to me. And so I thought, Oh, this is it's great to be able to experience these things to an extent shared. So I'm glad that you you watched him and liked him too. And, and David, I think I was cutting you off there. Oh I no, that's fine.
2: I, I I just I'm wondering what kind of TVs were Polish people watching back in the late 1980s because <laughs> these are such beautiful films. <laughs> and it's like what yeah. kind of a crappy yeah. Yeah. visual? I mean, you know, just the standard issue. Even a nice TV back then would have just never done these films justice. And yet, other right, than the right. short film about killing and short film about love, I don't know that they ever really got their due but they are just so gorgeous um you know they they really well they 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 made the transition to to high def very well so yeah you're gonna say something about that just in terms of the
0: well yeah. we get um you know i i love the when filmmakers take their work seriously with like berkman with uh fanny and alexander I mean, that is a gorgeous film. I know he released it theatrically as well, kind of like a few of these came out. But just to think of watching that on your television, I'm sure it was terrible, terrible quality in the early 80s to do yeah, that. Your little 19-inch console there, yeah, right. yeah. Yeah, it didn't stop even from the first scenes with that winter and those, that winter night and those light, the candles, you know, of, of uh, Fanny and Alexander. Yeah. Um, you know, that just never would have come off, but he did it anyway. And I, I feel, I, I hadn't thought about that with Decalogue, but you're right. There's, there's just this beauty in so much of this that, you know, you, you get the feeling that Kislowski was just like, I don't care who I'm making this for or what it's going to be. I'm making it special with using all of my skills to and do that's this. And it's just how he
2: makes movies, right? Yeah. So, I mean, there, there are many incredibly, uh, impressive aspects to to the decalogue and yeah i think it's probably going to finish at a number one spot in a lot of polls as far as you know not just criterions of the year but you know disc media releases of the year um and so it's a very worthy number one but i think i i kind of like the Sort of more subjective favorite approach that we take, rather than the sort of objectively mm-hmm. categorically best, because I think Decalogue right. certainly this is the most
0: yeah. important to the best. Yeah, and and <laughs> I think it's very
2: deserving of that kind of attention, just because it is such a solid and and the the the, the way different episodes weave into each other. I mean, there's just an enormous amount of thought, um, but it's not pedantic. It's not heavy-handed either. It's it's in fact, I, I really love you know a decalogue 10 just because it ends on such a kind of a wacky note you know Uh, after these (laughs) very serious and heavy themes he kind of you know sends them laughing as they go
1: (laughs) yeah Kieślowski is another director that the collection has really introduced me to that I've grown to absolutely love but another one that I'm kind of uh, doling it out to myself slowly so I haven't watched this yet but I did want to say that I got to see the three colors trilogy uh, in two days uh, at Banffa in, in Berkeley this year. And that was a real highlight of my year just on the Kieślowski thing. Like seeing those on the big screen was pretty incredible. Yeah.
3: Well, I took oh, I took awesome. this out of contention because, you know, it's, it's subjectively and objectively very, very good. But my partner Maggie and I, we've only seen the first three episodes and that was before the holidays. And each one that we watched we watched three over about the course of a week and we each time we'd look at each other and say man that was amazing but i feel like i just got hit in the face with a brick you know it's just so powerful and then the holidays started and we kind of moved on to other things but yeah we're really looking forward to finishing this up this winter because it's just it's it's awe-inspiring
0: how good they are all right well, let's move on to our number ones—the the, our favorite release of the year—and I think all of us have said this is not easy; it's subjective. But I'm excited to hear what you decided tonight to celebrate as your number one release. We'll start uh, back at the around this side of the table with Ark. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> I'm picturing us around an actual
0: table. That'd be a lot of fun. Here in the Criterion Cast suite. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yep. Our golden tower
1: or what have you. Um, I'm looking all over from my table. I don't see it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, my original choice for the number one here will be covered by Scott, and I'll have some things to say when he gets there. But um, for me... Uh, upon reflection, uh, the, you know, the way I had made the list was kind of originally like, what was my favorite thing or what did I most enjoy or kind of whatever. And then I realized that there was a, a film that came out this year that was just uh, more important than that to me. And it, it was actually an upgrade. Um, and that was Alain Renault's uh, Night and Fog, um, which is, um, the, famously the the first real documentary to speak about the horrors of the holocaust um, and uh it, it has a very uh personal thing for me i' I think I've spoken in the in the past in these these situations that my uh that my family were holocaust refugees and um, my grandfather was in a concentration camp um, my great grandparents were also uh, killed in a concentration camp so um on that level but more than that uh the film opened the world's eyes to what had happened and continues to do so so um i watched it with with my girlfriend and and it was such a i mean it's a very short film and it doesn't matter in that time it just it, it i mean it honestly it kicks you in the face and uh and, and makes you deal with it and um the the original disc from criterion was pretty bad <laughs> I mean, it comes from a different era <laughs> of the collection. And uh, so to get uh, this new package of what I consider to be honestly just one of the most important films ever made. Um, uh, obviously not a film I enjoy or, or you know, I'm like, yeah, you should go watch this. It's going to be a good time. You know, not at all. But a film I think probably everyone everywhere should see at some point and a film that should be available uh, to everyone in the highest quality and most um thoughtful package possible uh and I think you know Criterion did a really great job with that so um for me you know again not the not the not the not my favorite film not the most fun film but the <laughs> the favorite release of the year was uh, was this one
0: I'm glad you picked a, an upgrade so that we could talk about that a, a little bit you know there were only seven that we would maybe consider upgrades this year um and i was worried that maybe none of them would would feature at all in this episode if we didn't have that segment but but you're right that's a, a great one um you know i had the old dvd and there was a temptation when it was announced to just say well i've got the dvd and i don't know if i'll watch it again but i thought you know what i want to support the fact that they did this yes. and i want to be able to give my dvd to the library um, so that they have it so that others can get to know it as well, so it was it didn 't take me too long to to just say nope it's it's it 's an upgrade i 'm going to get um even though i haven 't revisited it um, to see how it looks you know um and i i haven 't even watched the the new documentary or the uh, or supplement um that that 's on there either that i would I would love to to get into but I need to do that because you 're right it's it 's an important one um So thank you.
2: Yeah, well, you know, we've we talked about uh, Showa, you know, a couple years ago when it came out, and I it really this is it's the kind of film that makes me feel, you know, actually a little bit uh, kind of proud and 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 very uh, you know sort of like my my criterion fandom uh, my my preoccupation if you will <laughs> is well-founded because they're not just about frivol- frivolity and entertainment they you know i i like my bonkers you know uh stuff uh the valley of the dolls the the dark humor the you know the kind of goofy side of criterion and, and they they celebrate that as well but you know they can get serious and profound uh put the joking aside uh, open your eyes to the reality of the world we live in and and just deal with these historic atrocities and and you know i <laughs> I'll just throw my little political bit in there i mean i think it's it's really in these times especially it's important that uh, f- uh media that that is designed to entertain and 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 instruct and inform and and really even shape our own opinions, our experiences of life, and how we interact with others i mean Criterion touches on those levels, and, and I'm I'm really uh, pleased that they that they put the resources into given this film. Just like Arik says, uh, you know, it's it's top flight presentation, uh, and and keeping our eyes open to to the realities of, of uh, what has happened, still within many people's living memory. So yeah, as wow. a great selection.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, David, why don't you uh, why don't you keep going there and give us your number one. Okay,
2: yeah, well, I guess, yeah, my, my uh, uh, number one was kind of going back to my original theme, just the film that just made that long-lasting kind of emotional, uh, experiential impact. And and I, I went with uh, The Emigrants in the New Land by Jan Troll. It's a, a sprawling epic of uh, settlement, of, of, of relocation from Sweden to the... Uh, to the wide open spaces of Minnesota, right, Keith? I th-
3: Minnesota, yeah, baby. that's right.
2: And so it's a it's a great uh, it's a great tale that I think um, you know whether you trace uh, your family roots. I mean, I've got kind of Dutch ancestry, uh, so I could sort of see some some echoes of my own ancestors' experience, so slightly different cultures, but still kind of that Northern European thing. But it's it's just a great human interest story, the the sense of authenticity, even the the length of it and the occasionally mundane stretches, even though I never felt bored or disengaged. It's a long movie. It moves at a somewhat leisurely pace, but there's just so many aspects of this this film and of watching it earlier this year that I I really enjoyed. I mean, it's a film that my wife and I both really sat down and savored and and we've gone back to it again and um it's I don't know, there's just a lot of life in this film. It's it's got uh it's got serious topics and dealing with uh you know the kind of the repressive aspects of religious authoritarianism just the the rugged uh, struggle to survive and to to make one's way in, you know, truly, you know, kind of a virgin territory as far as the the natural resources and the unsettledness of it. But there's a native population there that they have to find some equilibrium with. There's the, um, you know, the transportation or the transition from, an old country to a new country, the old values kind of coming in to uh, this new territory and having to do it through the transformation. And just just tons and tons of themes that I find very interesting, satisfying to to just sort of reflect on. Uh, wonderful performances. I'm sure a big piece of the appeal is. Is watching, uh, Liv Ullman and Max von Sydow again. Uh, just watched them, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago in Ingmar Bergman's Shame, which was made several years before this. And, you know, Max and Liv are just an incredible screen couple and and, and great actors in their own right. And so just, you know, watching them kind of do their thing and in a non Ingmar Bergman movie is also kind of illuminating. Uh, it's, I don't know, there's, it's, I just, I just enjoyed, uh, this movie immensely and and i'm sure i'll be watching it again in, in years to come and so it's just uh, a film that uh made a big impact on me uh i i just dig the story and the uh and 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 the beauty i mean jan Troll is is you know he's just got a great eye for natural scenery for human faces and and uh for character studies and this movie just gives him a chance to really paint on a big canvas and I think he fills it in exceptionally well so this was, uh, this was my favorite of the year
3: very good choice uh, Maggie and I have had the same experience that uh, you and Julie have had on just you know sitting down to watch it and just getting lost in it luxuriating in it and, and just having a, a fantastic uh, transformative experience I mean over six hours you don't you just you live this film and of course, us being Minnesotan, we, we tie a little bit more import to it with that, although neither one of us is Swedish. Um, you know, to, to this day, Lindstrom, Minnesota, which is not far from here, still has Carl Oscar days every year, and, and, and you know, that's not necessarily from the movie. That's back from when the author wrote the books, back in the 40s, I think. Um, so, you know, this this movie has a, a connection to to my area, and uh you know you you raise also a good point about seeing these two in a non Bergman film, and they the screen presence and the connection and everything you know it's just as strong as it would be with Bergman and it's uh definitely uh uh way way up there on my list as well
2: yeah, I think Liv Oldman said that this was probably the work she's the proudest of as far yeah, as her acting career, and that's that's you know that's high praise indeed because she just did so many amazing things with Ingmar Bergman and Mm -hmm. she certainly wasn't dissing Bergman in any way, but I think just, this is a role that just, you know, it didn't suck the life out of her. She just poured her life into it. And, uh, yeah, yeah, just this full range of, um, you know, of personal growth and, and suffering and endurance. Uh, yeah, it's just a pretty breathtaking production all the, all the way around.
0: Yeah, I, I agree as well that, some of my favorite parts. Um, well, I guess when I realized how special it was going to be was pretty early on. When Truel doesn't really do a lot with transitions from one, you know, one year to the next or one big event to the next, he he does it more with small things. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. just
2: moments and and just stops along the way, but not big set pieces by any means. Yeah, just-
0: I can't remember. Is there a wedding in the first film? Is 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 it does it does it show any of it or is she just kind of all of a sudden Max Fonsito's wife? I get the sense it was the latter that that, that yeah, she just I, is yeah. suddenly I don't there. Recall. And I love when she's swinging in the barn and her mother-in-law comes by and there's just that moment of you know, and that's all that it is, and then it goes on to something else, but you realize how hard it is for her. You know, she's young, she's got this life, and how hard it is for the mother-in-law to see this, this girl, you know, this stranger almost coming in here not working. You know, we're all doing this, and she's having a fun moment, but it's those special little moments that, uh, you know, both the moment she was having as she's swinging and the moment she has when all of a sudden she's like, oh... I don't know if I get along with my mother-in-law and, and that, that kind of fear. <laughs> um, Troll does that so well without stating it ever, you know, it's just there. It's just, uh, I guess Keith said it well, you, you kind of, you know, you, they lived this, this, these films. That's, that's how they feel just a, a film of, of life and, and of um, going through, through that time. Does anybody else have anything you want to say about the, these, this great release david's number number 1 and a good number 1 a great number 1 all right well keith let's uh let's hear what your number 1 is
3: all right well i think i've already copped to this because everybody's choices have just been fantastic and will continue to be fantastic and you know let's be honest for the most part everything criterion puts out is fantastic but You know, I've kind of copped to the fact that I'm doing a little bit of counter-programming here, and that's um, definitely true with my number one, because what I was looking for with my number one was just, to me, something where, in some respects, Criterion is stepping outside of their comfort zone, doing something a little bit different, and then just absolutely knocking out of the park. And what I am talking about is the Kennedy films of Robert Drew and Associates, um, this is something that caught me completely by surprise, uh, caught a lot of people by surprise, mostly pleasantly, um, from what I remember reading. And certainly once I popped the discs in, I was, you know, transported and transfixed by what was going on on the screen. Um, as being a bit of a history buff, I was nominally, um, aware, excuse me, aware of some of these films, uh, Primary and, and Crisis being the, the the two that I was sort of aware of. I think I saw Crisis in a college class about 30 years ago. Don't re- remember anything other than just having seen it. Um, but again, you know, the reason it's my number one is just because of the story that Criterion is telling with this and just the eye-opening aspect of it. Um, you know, looking at Looking at the people that were working with Robert Drew, uh, especially with D. A. Pennebacher and Albert Maysles, and and the work that they were doing, kind of creating a new type of film, um, with really not knowing that they were doing that, uh, except for D. A. Pennebaker, will often say he knew exactly what he's doing, but uh, um, you know, just the story that was told, the 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 uh, the new forms of direct cinema that were being, uh, developed just the fact that, you know, if you think about most, um, newsreel footage from, you know, the early sixties and then of course going backwards, um, you rarely if ever see anything this, um, uh, personal, anything this intimate, um, usually it's people, you know, just, uh, talking into a microphone with those crazy old transatlantic, uh, uh, accents that everybody used to have. And, um, to me, this was just something that really, really broke through and became, um, obviously, you know, for, for better, for worse, a way that a lot of, uh, documentaries and news media is presented and consumed by us. Um, you know, Just the first that really seemed to have happened, you know, spending time with two campaigns for five days in Wisconsin and being that close to them and being a fly on the wall as much as you could with those huge cameras. And then going into the second one with uh, Adventures in the New Frontier with, you know, showing that that daily work that's going on in the White House with the Mr. President Kennedy, who had won. Um, you know, not something that we had seen a lot and I was very surprised watching it on how so much of the, of the filming techniques and, and, and angles in this and that, that are very, very, they look very, very familiar because that's the way things are still done. And for this to have been, you know, ostensibly the first is pretty amazing. But the one that really got me and just kind of floored me was Crisis. Even though I had seen it 30 years ago, I had flushed it out of my mind. And, you know, you think about, um, you think about all we ever hear about George McGovern and the University of Alabama is basically we hear, you know, they stood on the steps and um, the two black students, you know, walked into the classroom and there was a lot of, um, a lot of protesting and a lot of noise and this and that. Um,
2: Hey, not to cut you off, Keith, but you meant George Wallace, not George
1: McGovern. You said oh, George Sorry,
3: McGovern. did I say George McGovern? <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah.
1: The, I was really questioning my history for a second. I was like, do I yeah, not yeah, know yeah, something yeah.
3: here?
2: Different different ends of the spectrum, shall we say? Uh, oh
3: wow. Okay, anyway, George Clooney was uh, <laughs> um, that that's funny and embarrassing at the same time. So but to see that All of this was on film, just like you might see something, uh, you know, that was developed today to see that they had a camera crew on the Kennedy side and to be blown away by the fact that they had a camera crew on the George Wallace side. Um, You know, it's amazing, but it almost kind of takes away a little bit from the power of what was happening because again, it just never occurred to me in, in in my memory of what I remember about a lot of this stuff is that something that important was also almost, in a way, staged for the cameras. And, and I know that staged is not what they were looking for, but just the fact that it was being documented from that personal of a level was just crazy. And that's what I that's what I just really loved about this so much. And then, you know, the the documentary where they took Robert Drew's interviews, you know, four or five of them from when he was a a reasonably fit young man till when he was a very large old man, but still with the same wit and the same uh uh ability to tell a good story to to hear all of this through his um through his eyes and through his version of his events um, you know I believe that that whole documentary was put together by Criterion themselves and to me um, just telling this story and putting that documentary together as opposed to just you know taking or you know purchasing or renting somebody else's to put on the disc to me shows just a level of interest and a level of detail and something that we don't get a lot of from criterion, but fits in perfectly with the criterion, uh, aesthetic. Um, you know, w- with all, with all due respect to the many, many fantastic fiction films that were put out this year, to me, this one just stood above as something that was, uh, different and very special.
1: You know, Keith, I, uh, during the Barnes and Noble sale this year, I, I, through a variety of random incidences, I ended up with two copies of this film. And so yeah. I gave one of them to a, a good friend of mine, and he was, I mean, almost exactly your thoughts. He was absolutely just blown away by these films. It, it made such a difference yeah. to him. It was great.
0: Yeah, great choice. Oh, and great and I'm glad you went nonfiction, since you've also thrown out all of Louis Miles' uh, fiction works in favor of his nonfiction, <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh
3: yeah i'm gonna throw it every other criterion <laughs> except for this one no it,
0: it, i i'm i'm just i'm I'm glad we got a couple of nonfiction pieces in our in our favorites uh, top favorites even of the year um glad they they're getting the notice that they they should get even if even if you you don't like um the ingrid Bergman uh documentary <laughs> um well
3: <laughs> Never said I didn't like it. I well, just don't, don't understand, understand the re- as, a, canon, as a release, yeah.
0: as, a, as its yeah. own standalone yes. release. Um, no, thanks, Keith. Anybody want to to add anything there to the Kennedy films of Robert Drew and Associates? All right, uh, Scott. Let's hear what your number one is.
5: Yeah, this was a very easy choice for me, in spite of uh, Criterion having released a number of very quality releases this year, but uh, their final you know, years in the making uh, release of Edward Yang's A Brighter Summer Day is Mm -hmm. far and away the standout to me. Uh, I did a very long episode of uh, Criterion Close-Up with Mark and Aaron about this release, and so I would encourage listeners to check that out, because it was really an extreme pleasure to watch this film. I watched it twice all the way through, and then once with the commentary track, uh, (sighs) Tony Rain's Excellent expert commentary track that runs through all four hours of the film is well worth listening to. Um, But the film really rewards that kind of attention. You know, I think the first time there's so little that's kind of explained in any traditional sense that it takes a while to kind of figure out just who everybody is and what their relationship is to one another, where they are in their lives, where they are in the story. Um, and by that time you know you're an hour into a movie that already has some plot in motion that although it's a slow burning sort of plot you know this everything is important the small touches every action matters in some way and it's really kind of a classically staged uh narrative in many ways i I don't want to make the case that the four hours just fly by or anything it's it's certainly a slow build but uh it is a really exceptionally wrought film it's intellectually stimulating and very smart about the ways it depicts its characters. Uh, It doesn't, you know, go out of its way to engender sympathy, but at the same time, it's so moving as you get through it and you become so attached to all the people in it who just are looking for just some basic sense of peace in a time and place in which uh, these particular people are not going to ever be granted that they're so unmoored from any sense of, Uh, cultural identity from personal identity from national identity, that the hope that they could find some sort of uh, foundation is ultimately hopeless. And that's the underlying tragedy, I think, of the whole thing, but there's so much else going on besides that, you know, there's, there's still some humor in it, uh, but it's just such a, a, beautiful exceptional film that Criterion did a really great job bringing to disc, not only in their wonderful, gorgeous transfer, but like I said, Tony Rain's commentary is well worth every second of the four hours. He barely takes a pause and still has plenty to say on it and all the players involved. And the two-hour documentary, kind of about the new Taiwan cinema, uh, is well worth watching as well. I haven't gotten around to the videotape play, but you know, it's it's a nice inclusion nonetheless. Um, and yeah, I, I think if I hadn't picked this random one spot, I probably would have picked this for the best cover of the year because, as Ark said, it is a very attention grabbing and very evocative cover that nevertheless doesn't just take a moment from the film, but still reflects it in some interesting ways, uh, without giving too much away, but also just, I think the spirituality of it, the sense of vacancy, uh, it evokes is very pertinent to the experience of watching the film. Um, yeah, so I, I completely love this film and really just fell for this release. And it to me is the standout criterion release of the year.
1: Uh, as I said, leading into this round, this would have been, if I had not switched up for Night and Fog, this was going to be my number one, uh, just an amazing choice. Like, it's, I mean, you know, I said earlier, and I think I even said this on the Chronicles episode when we talked about this episode, this film, I don't like super long cinema as a rule, but if you're going to make a, a, an exception to that rule, this is the film to do it for. For me, it 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 makes incredible use of its obscene 4 hour running time by <laughs> by telling just a phenomenal story uh, uh, uh with a with just a massive ensemble cast and so many things coming together to that would be I think very difficult if not impossible in a um a shorter uh film and I, I I you know I really feel like the film could have gone you know there's just so many things about it to experience so many different avenues to take it in so many different ways to look at it lenses to view it through uh, i'm i'm impressed that scott watched it three effectively three times but i'm not surprised in a way because it's like yeah there is so much i mean even just that first time so many questions i had so much confusion i had that watching it a second time would probably allow me to take in a lot more of those details and then to have someone like tony raines you know providing that kind of commentary it's it, it is a it is the definition of masterpiece for me. It is. Man,
0: I need to go through that commentary still. I I watched it, and it's it's one that I feel bad isn't on my list because it, it should be there, you know. But I think I'm still in the I really admire this um, rather than it, it's really a favorite, but I think someday it really could be because it still haunts me. Just the, the brighter summer day is a phrase in that Elvis song is haunting. Um, yeah, and. Yep you know the the one i can't think of his name right now cuz it's been a while since i watched it but the little the little boy who sings that falsetto um for the concert and him singing angel baby i i mean th- this film feels like a haunted summer um you know of your youth with the with the soundtrack with with these things going on around it, it. It really was remarkable in that way. But I, I, I only watched it through the one time. I need to do more homework on it, and I th- I know it deserves it, and I know it'll pay off. So I'm uh, excited to do that, and I'm glad you you brought it up.
5: Well, that's the pleasure of owning yeah. these releases. It'll always be there for you. <laughs> exactly. been, Absolutely. Take it to pieces or all at once or however exactly. you like it. And we're picking we're picking a top three from an
3: embarrassment of riches. Never feel bad about one movie not quite making it.
0: <laughs> no, it it is an embarrassment of riches. I I guess yeah. um, to preface my number one, um, <laughs> this isn't a great preface, but it'll make sense maybe here in a second. You know, there there were a few people uh, at the Criterion Forum, and I don't want to belabor this, but that kind of looked back and scoffed at 2016, saying. You know, blah blah blah. Criterion's just releasing, you know, big titles or Hollywood classics, and what are they're not taking risks anymore. And I think they actually used that word that that they're just conservative or something like that. And I thought
1: those people cannot be pleased. Well,
0: exactly, exactly. Truth. I think that that's it, or <laughs> or they didn't do their homework. I mean, I don't think any of us have picked a film that for for our favorite that is like. You know, guaranteed blockbuster. You're going to make all your money. This is a popular topic and a popular thing. We've gone through they such. They want
2: twenty a variations on Hollis Frampton Odyssey or something. I don't know like what that, they want. Because I, I, I don't think they want that <laughs> Part three either. Through seven you know, of honestly, brackage.
0: I think that they would be like, well, well, of course they're going to do that. I, I don't know. I, I don't try to to understand some of that, and I, I don't think everyone there thinks that. There was plenty of uh, backlash on the Criterion forum. Um, for saying this, but they even kind of were like, well, there's only a handful. If you can only count a few on your hand. That, but I'm like, no, there's more than a handful. We've got the Kennedy films. We've got A Brighter Summer Day. We've got Decalogue. We've got, you know, every month. I mean, the month of March alone, every release is something kind of rare, unseen, and and phenomenally presented to us. Um, the way this is a preface to my number one favorite is that it, my number one probably isn't a film that... that, that uh You know, would be an obvious contender for its um, importance or for its lost status or for anything like that that just desperately needed Criterion's work Um, but I love it all the same and wanted to pick it and it is Charles Vidor's Gilda Um, uh, as was the case with my other two choices I hadn't seen this movie before the Criterion release though it's kind of one of those I always felt that I, I knew even though I knew nothing about it other than the hair flip scene um, which you've seen hundreds of times on all kinds of uh, highlight shows on, on the um, Shawshank Redemption on, you know, famous scenes in history. And I guess I was under the impression that the film was famous for just that scene alone, just because Rita Hayworth is sexy. And that's a, a, a wonderful, wonderful moment and a, a great entrance into a film. Um, and I guess even if that's true, because it's just such an iconic scene. It's certainly not the only thing that the film has going for it. Um, I loved every minute of this film, um, from the doc scenes at the beginning where we get to know Glenn Ford's character a little bit, um, and get that kind of helpfully contextualized in the audio commentary that was included, um, to Gilda's musical numbers, which were always delightful and, and, um, and, and kind of deep, um, and with a lot going on besides just the entertainment of a musical number in the in the film, um, to the hair flip, to the to the black dress that's on the cover, um, and to the complicated chemistry that's going on between her and Glenn Ford's character, and then you know finally that that in quotes happy ending, that you know after all that we've seen these people do to each other, it's just such a shockingly terrifying ending. That it It really is kind of hard to understand how anyone trying to enforce the Hayes Code could think that this was good for the public or you know it wasn't something incredibly <laughs> subversive I mean even if it fit a, the the letter of the law perfectly you know it's just it's such a a disturbing ending that i loved because of that you know because yeah, it's it just, it's all the more
2: it, twisted and subversive yes, because of I, it yeah
4: <laughs> it's so yeah. great
0: and that's another reason that i love this release in particular beyond just the film is the supplemental materials really showcase just how subversive the film is um you know from the doc scenes like i said to gilda's uh uh numbers and just what they were kind of up against That the script you look at this thing and you realize this is this is some creative work to get such a delightful movie and all of this subtext going on in it and it's just so great to see how creatively they they got through all the nooks and crannies of the code to just get this dark film to us um It was a pleasant surprise. I watched it with my wife at the beginning of the year, you know, and that probably has something to do with why I like it so much, is that was just a good memory, you know, a film-watching moment, and I'm so glad that it's here. And and maybe this was the film that made me like the posters, because... You know that nice poster of Rita Hayworth that you unfold there. That's that's nice to have. That's <laughs> pretty much a centerfold.
2: Let's just uh, tell it like it is. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. <laughs> it it really is. It's true. Um, that's yeah. uh, uh-huh. that, that's a, a lovely one. But but maybe and you know another thing that I loved about it is I don't know Rita Hayworth particularly well. Her filmography or her skills. Again, I probably just thought she was just kind of a, a sexy actress but she is so good in this. And you know, we get her again in Only Angels Have Wings, but in a in a much smaller role um in that release. But in this one, I just thought that she does such a good job. That dance number with the black dress where she just goes completely off kilter is just it's it, it's excellent. Um she does so well with this film that I just came to admire her as as an actress and and really um You know, kind of the ability finally to appreciate why she has such standing um, as a cinema icon um, beyond just a moment on film with the hair flip. You know, there's so much more there. And so the film really paid off on that promise for me. Um, Even though, again, I think there'd be plenty who would argue with me this wasn't necessary or anything like that. But I love that Criterion was putting out a lot of this stuff too this year with In a Lonely Place, um definitely a contender for my, my one of my favorite releases of the year. You know, I, I love that they're doing classic Hollywood, that they're getting access to some of these things that that they're that I just I want them in my collection. You know, I, I buy Criterion movies, I want I want these films there. I, I love that I can show them to my to my family. Um and get this this nice foundation for where we are today. Uh, so, so I hope they don't stop, you know, I hope they just keep up this wide variety of all these different kinds of releases. And again, I'm just, I'm thrilled that Gilda came my way.
3: Well, I made a quick list when I was looking at my pleasures of the year, I didn't mention it, but you know, I, that seems to be where kind of where the criterion forum negativity is coming from is maybe what they would consider too many safe or obvious choices from the '40s, uh, but I've I've been very very impressed and pleased with you know what they have come out with in one 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 year period from movies that we would consider you know 1940s classics, and that might there might be outliers from like 1939 to 1951, but you know in one year we get Gilda, Cat People, Only Angels Have Wings, In a Lonely Place, Here Comes Mister Jordan, Asphalt Jungle. I mean. That's amazing stuff, you know, and they kind of even did that in the same year. They have a nice chunk of American cinema from the 60s. You know, we've got The Graduate, The Manchurian Candidate, Dr. Strangelove, the two Wells titles, the two Valley Pictures, One-Eyed Jacks. I mean, I mean, it, it, it amazes me that we have two very distinct periods with very strong classics of the pe- period that epitomize... Um, those decades, and of course, we've got his his girl Friday coming in next right. week. Right,
2: and and it's not like I mean, for maybe wizened old cinephiles who've been you know going back to the old days, and and this is all familiar territory. These are still very new discoveries for a lot of a lot of people. Not even yes. just younger folks, yes. but even for me. I mean, I just you know I think I've told my story. I didn't I didn't grow up watching all these classics. I just watched kind of the standard stuff that you'd see on TV and in the in the first run theaters. And I'm just blown away. I just watched Asphalt Jungle last night. It's like that's an incredible movie. And yeah. and, and going back yeah. to Gilda, just I mean Rita Hayworth might be the most astonishing presence as far as a single performance i mean i was also pretty uh you know pretty uh impressed by brando and one-eyed jacks but as madonna once sang rita hayworth gives good face you know and and yeah. just her her, her 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 wiles and just the boy just the way she she just twists the the guys around her finger and, and 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 then she sings and dances on top of all of that And just what an impressive uh and highly refined talent she was uh just you know, you're just compelled to really want to understand what made this woman tick, and you can see sort yeah. of see why she drove so many men kind of, kind of insane. Speaking <laughs> the of whole Wells? package like uh, that, I yeah. was going <laughs> to say to, to yeah.
3: paraphrase the to paraphrase the old bad line, you know, and Orson Wells got tired of that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> How is that possible? Uh, unbelievable. Well, and and yeah. you know, the cover. Yeah, I would recommend gotten, for that the. Uh, oh, sorry, Art. Go ahead. I'll talk sorry. about the cover in a second.
1: <laughs> Just to, for the Orson Wells point, I would recommend listening to the um, You Must Remember This episodes about Rita Hayworth. It's pretty fascinating. Her life story, her non-public persona, very different than her uh, screen yeah. persona. Yeah, I'm,
2: I'm yes. sure there's a lot of a, a performance there, but it's a pretty compelling
4: performance.
0: Yeah, which so. is this is another one of those covers that... Um, I loved even more after watching the movie because that moment is so complicated. You know, that's not just her singing a song and smiling for the, for the show for the men. I mean, it is that, but there's oh so much more going on there. And I know this cover gets a lot of flack, but I it's love that not exactly I love the in package. focus. I love the pink it's kind there. of a blur. Yeah, yeah. it's greeny. Yeah, cranny, yep. but it's such a blah, great blah, blah. look at <laughs> Rita Hayworth pulling her hair up got that black dress on she hasn't got the gloves off yet but they're about to come off yeah <laughs> uh, i love the pink spine <laughs> yeah, i mean kind of just I, this leaps is a great package for me too <laughs> um so yeah I, I appreciate uh uh your words on that um anybody have anything else they want to say on my number one before we kind of uh, begin the process of wrapping up
3: good choice Oh, thanks. Yeah. No, I, I mean I, I do. I, I just
2: like those subjective, personal picks that just kind of bring you yes. That's what bring this is you all delight,
0: about. Yeah, know? I mean mm-hmm. we we could all pick what we should pick, you know. And I know that I know that none of us did that. We 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 all picked the the, the releases that really stood out. I, I loved hearing your reasons behind these because you know really I, I mean here where I am it's ten o'clock. I know David and Keith it's after midnight and. Um, Scott oh, only 11
3: for me I'm good oh okay
0: we're across the yep. whole the whole board then Eric and, and yep. Scott it's nine there um, you know I want to go watch some of these movies I wish I could fit them all in again tonight but um, yeah. <laughs> it, it's just been so much fun to, to, to go through all of this but um, I guess before we go do you have any 2016 releases that no one else talked about but that you feel just they they must come up for you to go to bed tonight with any self-respect anything anything that uh, you really wish someone had brought up so that you could oh, just say yeah that was a great one yeah
2: story of the last the chrysanthemum was a was a contender uh, naked mm-hmm. island i just i like you know seeing some of the you know non-kurosawa non-samurai japanese stuff uh, coming out there Um uh, definitely well wanna and, cheer and that speaking
0: on. of uh safe bets you know super conservative 1930s japanese um uh, films you know that that's or 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 completely silent uh, no not silent but um uh very quiet uh, japanese film yeah those are those are exactly the the kind of safe bets that criterion's defaulting to these days i i'm being maybe yes, a little bit are. too cutting but <laughs> <laughs>
5: <laughs> well, I I think put on a... the safer bet side i wanted to throw out some love for chaplin's the kid it's oh, yes. a great yeah.
0: movie yeah
3: i mean we had i would put in go, go ahead Okay. Oh. I was just going to put in a word for A Taste of Honey. Yeah. Um, I'm a bit of on a Tony Richardson kick right now, and, and that type of movie is right up my alley and very, very, very well done.
4: An- another um,
0: one that I didn't have any expectations for and almost was like, oh, do I have to, do I have to put this one in? It just didn't seem to appeal to me, but, but yeah, I loved it. And I loved, um, oh, what's it, Murray Melvin in that movie fantastic i had never seen him that young before um i've always been scared of him honestly um because of <laughs> his face and because of the devils but um but boy he was exceptional in that movie oh man I, and it was a he great really one i was another delightful surprise that i wish uh, like you know that's why I'm asking this question. There are some of these that we just, we can't not celebrate them <laughs> a little bit. And, and two two very
3: strong Cohen brothers for the year, too, that don't even make the list. That shows that just shows a good year,
1: I yeah. tell you. yeah, A Touch of Zen, yeah. another
2: pretty landmark yeah. release. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I wanted to highlight A Touch of Zen. Getting Chinese uh, wuxia film in the collection is incredible. Yeah. Or, uh, Here Comes Mr. Jordan, uh, Immortal Story. I had so many, I mean, what a great year.
0: Yeah, I've got on my list McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Um, oh, jeez, yeah. Heart of a Dog, I I really loved, and I did put the Cohen brothers too, because uh, you know, jeez, these might not have been my favorites of the year just because they were they're movies that I've lived with for so long that they yeah. stand out for other years for me. But Inside Lou and Davis and Blood Simple are fantastic additions to uh, and how can to I. Forget?
3: How can I forget bitter rice? I mean, that was a pleasure for me. I can't even look at rice anymore without my blood pressure going up.
1: (laughs) Scott, are we going to go through this whole episode without the new world being mentioned?
0: That's what I'm wondering.
5: What's up with that, Scott? Holy cow, I almost forgot about that. How is that
4: possible? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Good movie.
0: I've heard good things about it from you, Scott. Uh Yeah, that's a great package. That's great all i have to say, really.
5: It's, it's, a, it's a great movie.
0: Well, come on. Is it still, is it still your number one? I mean, I, think I, so. I know that things like that are, are hard to pin down all the time, but I know you've mentioned yeah, it. Yeah, but the it's past. kind of
5: become all reliable, so I'll, I'll stick with it. It's
0: a good deal. And I don't know, are we going to get booed off the stage? We kind of brought up um, Paul Thomas Anderson coming into the collection, but do we need to mention Punch Drunk Love here? I know Keith had some disappointments with it, but. Is that a, a momentous occasion for anybody that Paul Thomas Anderson finally joined the collection? And I
5: don't I know think if the it's momentous. I think it, what's that? Oh, I just think the transfer is strong enough that uh, any quibbles I have with it are overcome by that.
1: I am not yeah. a fan of PTA. I, I,
3: I would not call it momentous. I would call it a long gestating for uh, given. Um, I'm just glad it's there but my, my concerns have already been
0: expressed. <laughs> Arik, did I hear you si- You know, kind of quietly, this voice underneath, say you don't like PTA?
1: I am not a fan.
0: Yeah, I'm not either. I, I love um, There Will Be Blood. I think that's an astonishing masterpiece. But, you know, it's been, I watched Punch Drunk Love when it came out in theaters, and I liked it. I need to watch it again.
1: Well, uh, if, if there will be blood ever ends up in the collection, I will enjoy getting to uh explain why I loathe that film. So. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah,
3: Coming up in <laughs> coming up in hour four. Yeah. 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 I haven't seen
1: a PTA. Like, hate for the PTA. Let's go <laughs> let's
0: do some uh, supplemental material to this episode. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Well, you know, others that didn't pop up on our releases, we, we got new, um, new releases, um, maybe deeper cuts from Antonioni and from Fellini this year. Oh, I think um, was Dreams as mentioned. well.
2: I mean, that's you know, Keith already There's talked so, about yeah. the cover, but I mean, that's that's a really, you know poignant film from, from the master late in his career and I mean, you know, it, it's one that, you know, there was never any certainty that Criterion was going to get that. That was not part of the AK-100 set so... It's a bit of a coup that they got that. That was that's one of those Warner Brothers titles, right? So, uh, and so yes, it is. you know, but it's just you know, that's that's pretty pretty awesome that we've got a definitive edition of a really much sought after Kurosawa film. I mean, that just kind of gets kind of caught up in the shuffle, really. Um, so, just an incredible abundance that we've had this year for sure.
3: I mean, this is a year that we don't. Nobody's even mentioned the player.
0: I mean, it, it's well, certainly a given, but it we definitely barely a mentioned high point Altman. We got three, yeah, I mean, we got one upgrade and two new additions to the collection from from him and yeah. Sorry Keith, I interrupted you as you were no, talking I, about the no, player. No, that's but. fine.
3: I was just I was just going to say, I mean, I was only thinking of the player, but you're right. In a year that you get three three of uh, Robert Altman's high points and they really don't get talked about. Again, embarrassment of riches.
0: Yep. Well, all, all right. Any final thoughts on the past year or even just brief thoughts on the year to come uh, before we sign off from any of you? Well, it's
2: been nice to have a couple of weeks to catch our breath and get ready for a new uh, boatload of uh, Criterion goodies. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. I'll have a review of uh, His Girl Friday. Um, I'm aiming to have it up on Tuesday when the disc hits the shelves there, so... uh yeah let's let's bring it on 2017
3: excellent i i would just like to say this has been an incredible rehearsal and i can't wait to record
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah you can push that button uh, now to, keith uh, let's uh, go do some fancy <laughs> uh, fancy footwork on this one i can see <laughs> um, um aric um we'll 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 kind of go around the table again to sign off tell us uh tell us maybe a little bit more about your project. I know you've mentioned it, um, but, uh, or where people can find you.
1: Uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, cinemagadfly.com is my website where I'm, uh, continuing my journey through the criterion collection a little bit behind David, but, uh, progressing nicely. Um, uh, on Twitter at Cinemagadfly, I am launching a uh, new podcast, um, taking a break from my Cinemagadfly podcast. The new podcast is called The History of Jazz, and it will launch hopefully February 26th uh, bi-weekly. I'm starting uh, in 1619 and hope to make it to uh, modern day, although we'll see if that ever, ever, ever happens. But um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun, a lot of work, and I'm um, looking forward to people hearing it. Did you say you're starting in 1619? I did. Whoa, okay. (laughs) And if you want to know why, (laughs) check out the first episode. That's a a tease there, yeah,
2: for sure.
0: I'll be there regardless, but that's that's (laughs) excellent. I thought you meant 1916 and just said it backwards, but okay. That's (laughs) exciting. Um, All right, David, you mentioned a little bit about um, what you've got uh for criterion cast website uh um, yeah. anything else oh that you um, mention?
2: yeah i'm uh, my next r- criterion reflections review is going to be uh lindsey anderson's if i'm getting close to the end of 1968 there and uh so yeah i kind of gave that one a spin the other day so yeah it's uh interesting uh you know I'll, i guess i'll save my thoughts on if uh for when i sit down and write but uh yeah, a little bit of an unsettling film. Uh, you know, pretty brilliant in its own way, but also, you know, pretty dark and I I will have to sort of sort my thoughts on on that one. But uh yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to hitting up uh, his girl Friday and and the front page this weekend, so I'll I'll probably publish that one before I get to if, so you can find me at Criterion Cast.
0: All right, Keith.
3: All right. Uh The Completionist, as you said at the very beginning, you can find me at the webpage, criterioncompletion.com, the sister podcast that goes with that, Criterion Completion Hour. Uh, As soon as we get done here, I'm going to have a little dinner, go to bed and get up in the morning and talk to Aaron West for Hour 7, which will be coming here in January. And um, for those that were completely flummoxed by... My picture on the Facebook page last week, my topic this month is uh, DVD Easter eggs. So, going to be uh, pulling back the curtain (laughs) a bit on some of those.
0: That's a great topic. You did have me flummoxed as I looked at that. So,
3: fun. And you can find me on Twitter at Key Productions, K E E. All
5: right. Uh, Scott. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Rail of Tomorrow. And at CriterionCast.com, of course, I'll be, once again, if everything goes to plan, going to Sundance in about a week. No, two weeks. Um, And then posting coverage on that there. Also at BattleshipPretension.com. I just recorded last night, as of this recording anyway. Who knows when posting times when y'all will be listening to any of this. Uh, But you can find on that feed my top ten films of 2016. And what else? Oh, yeah. I'm also writing for the American Cinematex Movies on the Big Screen site uh, where I will be shortly writing about Jacques Demis' model shop.
1: Scott is also far Ooh, cool. too gentlemanly to say this, so I will. Go to CriterionCast.com. You can donate a little cash to help him out with uh, the Sundance trip. And uh, if you donate, I think, more than $20, uh, Ryan will throw you a Blu-ray. So help him, help him, get, help him get the most out of Sundance.
5: I appreciate that. Cool, I yes.
0: didn't, didn't notice that on the on there yet. I noticed that last year, but excellent. Well, Scott, one of these years when you come, we got to get together. I'm, I'm I'm not very far from Sundance at all. I hope the That's snow right. is down this year when you get here. It's all right, now. I'll get in touch that week. <laughs> I know it's a busy week, but we, we need to do it um, for sure. All right, well, um, listeners, you can find me on Twitter at mooks m o o k s e. And um, you know, uh, as far as uh, upcoming criteria and stuff, David, you and I have uh, plans later this month to do our next episode of the Eclipse Viewer, where we'll be focusing on the Nikatsu Noir set, and excited about that for sure. Yeah, um, we're getting down to the end, so I'm glad that I'm glad that we'll be able to talk about Berlanga hopefully someday in the future. Yeah, we'll see how
2: it, <laughs> it lines up with uh, our. You know kurosawa and ozu episodes which we'll probably save for the final and we've got the duvivier set in there as well but we really are yeah whittling them down yeah. so uh yeah we'll uh we'll have some fun with that as we uh get the eclipse viewer uh down the home stretch
3: yeah and as somebody who just spent three wonderful weekends talking to you too about the louis mall set i am sad not to be there for the next one
0: well we, those were awesome uh i this is a bittersweet. It's nice to see a project kind of coming together, you know. As we look at the clip series and and sense that hey, we're going to be able to to say we did it. Uh, we covered the this this set. We did the podcast, and yeah, future ones will come out and we'll do those as well. But that's also going to be kind of an awful thing because it's been so great. And Keith, those were those were some just great great times. So, agree. Thank you. Uh, but I'm glad you're here with us tonight and you know again i kind of said this at the end of that episode glad we're all glad we're all part of this community um we get to chat so often it, it it's 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 nice i don't i don't feel like like we're just getting together to celebrate films i think we've got some just wonderful people um th- several who aren't here with us on this particular episode but you know, always, always encouraging, always helping, always lending their insights and, and enthusiasm to films and to Criterion and to, to all of this community in such friendly ways, in such giving and kind ways. And it's, it's lovely, but, um, all right, well, that does it for us tonight. Um, just about three hours, three hours and a little bit. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. I hope listeners do as well. Listeners, you can certainly leave feedback at CriterionCast.com. We'd love to know what your favorite uh, releases of the year were, what other favorite things about Criterion 2016 you liked. And, you know, uh, David just did the wish list of 2017. What kind of things are you looking forward to? You know, we, we, we love having this uh, this community and, and these, these fine things to get together to talk about. And with that, we'll sign off for this year, but we'll all be back in various forms at Criterion Cast. Put the blame
4: on Maine, boy. Put the blame on Maine. One night she started to shim and shake. That brought on the Frisco quake. So you can put the blame on Maine, boy the blame on Maine. They once had a shooting up in the Klondike when they got Dan McGrew. Folks were putting the blame